The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, or maybe it's three in the morning where you're listening. I don't know. Regardless, welcome to another episode of Shag and Flies with Ben and Zach. This week we have a delightful conversation to bring to you with Connor Newcomb, who has many titles to his name, but is currently the host of the Locked on Orioles podcast and the D1 Ticker pod. He's the voice of Johns Hopkins University Athletics, and he is one of several Shag and Flies hosts and guests to have made their way through the journalism school at the University of Maryland. Uh, Connor was also the voice of the single-A Hagerstown Suns in minor league baseball, and just really knows his stuff in general about broadcasting and announcing and baseball. So, we talked about plenty of that, and Connor and Ben both being Orioles people, there was, weirdly enough, a lot of baseball talk. Uh, more baseball talk than we've had in any other episode of Shag and Flies, at least. Uh, but overall, it was a super chill and pleasant conversation. So, without further ado, here is episode 16 of Shag and Flies featuring Connor Newcomb. Hey, sorry for being late. My children forever to sleep. Oh, good. As per usual. Um, but anyways, what's up, Connor? How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. How's your weekend been? Oh, I'm unmuted. Uh, it's good, actually. We just uh, got down to uh, Delaware uh, yesterday. So I'm oh, on, where in Delaware? Uh, Bethany Beach. So oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. I'm on night two of vacation, but because it's this late, everybody's kind of chilled and. You know, Sunday night. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, perfect time to do a podcast anyway. Hey, perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. Enjoying your vacation with us. Exactly. Podcast. Wonderful. <laughs> well, um, well, uh, you know, thank you. I want to thank you, first of all, for joining us on Shag and Flies. We're, uh, we've, we're kind of already starting. Uh, <laughs> good. We, got, we got all the real, we got all the baseball talk out of the way before you yeah. came here. Oh, <laughs> did you? Oh, good. Good. Well, then this will be a nice short podcast. Uh, <laughs> um no but thank you for being here uh it's uh it's exciting to have you i've uh we'll get we'll get the promotion away off the top connor uh does host the locked on orioles podcast 
uh, and uh, which I have been on a couple times. So make sure you check out the uh, episodes that I have been on. And uh... <laughs> that's why we're waving. That's why we're waving our no plug exemption here. Yeah. I, no. 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 It's, I'm. I'm kidding. Our non. Our uh, non-existent no plug policy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. The. Uh, um. It's a. It's a great. Actually, you, the thing I really enjoy about the locked on. I, I would imagine this is probably universal with the locked on series is that it's a nice quick podcast. Like it's like, there is absolutely, I, and I say this as a co-host of a podcast that often goes two to three hours. Uh, <laughs> like there is a place for very long podcasts and they're great and wonderful, but there's also a nice place for like a quick 20 minute podcast. And, um, I always, <laughs> whenever I do a spot on Locked on Orioles, I always tell my wife, like, hey, I got a podcast. She's like, oh, great. Because, like, in her mind, if I, like, hey, if I'm, if I, before I started hosting yes. this thing, if I've got a podcast, it's like, great. You know, I'm going to be on, uh, like, uh, the pitch on, on the corner and it's going to be a couple hours or whatever. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's the, it's the Orioles podcast. It'd be like 15 minutes. In and oh, out. Perfect. <laughs> in and out, done. Perfect. But no, it's, and it's great. It's nice to just, I, I would bet, you know, having a bunch of uh, specific like team focused, quick like twenty minute daily podcasts is really nice. Um, but anyways, I the Red Sox one fairly frequently. Oh yeah, very cool, very cool. Um, so actually, you know what? Let me let me start with I I, I do want to ask you. So you've you've done a lot of broadcasting uh, and. You've been doing Locked on Orioles for, I'd say, but just over a year now, right? Yep. yep. Roughly? Yeah. So right how did that. you I, – I definitely want to talk about your broadcasting. We will talk about that in just seconds. But how did you end up um, uh, doing Locked on Orioles? Because I know that's – it's not like – this isn't like a podcast where you were like, I have an idea for a podcast. This is a – Locked on is an established brand that has podcasts for every fandom. So how did you how did you kind of find your way into Locked On Orioles? Yeah, so you know the Locked On Podcast Network, like you talked about, is um, you know all the you know four core you know professional sports. Each one has a podcast. You know, there's and then there's a multitude of like twenty or twenty five more that, that different things. You know, a Locked On Women's Basketball, you know, college football, basketball. A, a lot of the big colleges have podcasts, so they you know. As you said, it wasn't like, you know, I was like, oh, let me do an Orioles podcast. It kind of already existed. And I wasn't even the first host. Um, Justin McGuire, um, who hosts Baseball by oh, the Book, yeah. um, hosted that podcast before me for nine months to a year, maybe. Um, oh, I, I know Justin. I didn't realize he had hosted it. But that's yeah, funny. So yeah. I guess, uh, you know, it wasn't like a clean, you know, he reached out to me. I guess he had um, had too much else going on and, and had stopped hosting it and I think it might have been following uh, Sean Woodley on Twitter, who actually hosts the Raptors version of the podcast, but is also kind of mm-hmm. in charge of all the MLB podcasts. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of tweeted out like, hey, we're looking for, you know, two or three hosts. And one of them was the Orioles. And like, you can apply. And it was also my favorite thing, because any job that is applied through a Google form is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> um, things that Big you nice. have to submit, like 10 documents. I don't want that. Like the Google form yeah. is the greatest application. So the, the Google form, boom, he calls me, tells me what it's all about. Uh, this is, you know, just before the pandemic. This is January 2020. Um, mm. And I am, you know, working basically part time. And I'm like, yeah, I have the time to, to take this on and do this. And 
Um, I was like, this is great. You know, we're, we're getting close to the 2020 season, you know, Brad starts spring training, you know, I won't be taking over in November when I'll be, you know, digging in topics. It'll be like spring training will start when I start, this will be perfect. And then I took it over. And of course, six weeks later, yeah, baseball for a while. Boom. Um, so that was good practice, but yeah, I just kind of, uh, applied and, and reached out to him, um, and, and was not the original host. Now I've to this point done a lot more episodes than Justin did just because he, you know, wasn't hosting for too, too long. Um, but right. he, he kind of set the tone first and then I, uh, I took over. So, so I'm curious then, uh, you know, pandemic hits, there's no more baseball. You host a daily podcast about not, not just baseball about the Orioles. So what do you do in that moment where you're like, you were expecting to have spring training storylines and and stuff like that, and all of a sudden, all of that is irrelevant. Basically, I mean, even the storylines you were following all of a sudden don't matter because you're like, I don't know if there's going to be a season, uh, and even if there is a season, what's it going to look like? I mean, just so what do you do then when you're still expected? Like, you know, I I'm sure. I'm sure there was probably, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some leniency at first where it was like, Hey, we know things are weird. Don't feel like you have to put out a podcast, but eventually I'm sure the locked on network was like, all right, you know, we, we need some Orioles podcasts. So what, what did you do? What, how did you kind of, what did you end up covering? Yeah. So luckily um, in the off season, uh, the podcast goes to three days a week. So as soon as mm-hmm. pandemic hit and it probably, um, we were actually, what was funny is we hadn't hit, I guess, non-off-season time by the time the pandemic hit. I think the five days a week was supposed to start like the week after that spring training ended. So I was already only doing three days a week, which was very helpful. And then, of course, throughout the pandemic, right. it was three days a week until the 2020 season started. So that that helped. I mean, you, you cut down from five to three every week. That makes it a lot easier. Sure, um, sure. A lot of it at the beginning was, you know, for the first couple of weeks was just um updates on you know what was going on you know where players were what players were saying about it um you know what rob manfred was saying what jeff passan was reporting like you know it was still Orioles centric but you know at the beginning was trying to figure this stuff out along with everybody else and then you know once we realized that this was not going to be two to three weeks and this was going to be a long long time without baseball um it was getting very creative um i was going back and watching old games I watched through the 2012 playoffs um, and did rewatches and brought on like uh, other like people who host Orioles podcasts. Um, and, you know, basically we would rewatch the game and just kind of talk through it on a pod um, and split it up into a couple episodes, uh, we, which was a nice, uh, you know, trip down memory lane. Um, we would, I was having on the other hosts on the network. Um, we were talking about, because you know all the all the veterans the Orioles had traded in the past you know two years, we were just getting updates on how they were doing. You know, talking to the Braves hosts, still in short about you know Markakis and Gosman and O'Day's time there, and having the Yankees host on to see how Zach Britton's doing, um, and you know having the Cardinals host on to talk about Matt Weeters being Yachty's backup, um, and the kind of stuff to to see where you know what was going on. We we did some KBO episodes. Um, you know, there were seven six or seven former Orioles in the KBO um, in 2020. Oh, I know. Which, um, which made for Dan some Straley. Yeah. Dan Straley was one of Famous them. I'm trying to Dan think. Straley. <laughs> oh, and then, uh, yeah, and then... Um, um, Are we putting Ben on the spot here? Can you name? 
also no, no 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 i i'm trying are you to even a Oreos fan? <laughs> um the uh um oh my god why am i blanking on his name uh uh kim hansu kim hansu kim hansu kim i was a i was a huge oh my god i was such a big hansu kim same uh like believer I remember getting into like some arguments with some friends because it was that was the the first year that Kensu Kim was on the Orioles was the year that Joey Rickard started like tearing up spring training. And I had some friends who were just like, forget this Kensu Kim guy. He sucks in spring training. Let's get Joey Rickard. Joey Rickard's the answer. And I just kept going like the guy just got here from the KBO. He did spring training numbers already mean nothing like just period. And the guy just got here from the KBO. He's adjusting to a whole brand new league. Like, let's give him a second. Like, <laughs> let's not watch him for like, you know, 30 games of spring training and then dump him. And uh, he ended up being, I don't know, probably as good as Joey Rickard. <laughs> yeah, he, got, he got booed on opening day because yeah, he, yeah. he didn't accept an assignment to triple play because oh, his spring training was so that. bad. Yeah. And they booed yeah. him. And then all of a sudden, like, he started hitting yeah. and. All was good in the world. I know that was, oh man, that was a whole, that was a whole thing. But uh, yeah, so Hyunsu Kim, Dan Straley, oh man, who else? Um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. We've got Aaron who Brooks. Um, Aaron Brooks. Well, yeah, we've got Odrismer Despagne. Oh um, man. Bonye, the man who famously, I don't know if he did this in his time with the Orioles, but in his time with the White Sox, it was a very brief time with the White Sox. Um, you'll find out why in a sec, because his warm-up routine apparently was like throwing five long toss, like five times long, <laughs> and then just like going out to the mound and pitching. I guess he was doing some kind of stretching or like a little bit of throwing earlier, but he did not like go out to the pen to warm up. He just threw like a few long tosses and then went out to the mound to warm up. He did not pitch well. Um, <laughs> I believe it was his only, it might've been his only start with the White Sox for, for, for a reason. Um, I don't know if he did that in, in Baltimore, but that also partially explains why he's probably in, um, in Korea. He was, uh, <laughs> I just remember him as a guy. He threw an ethos or essentially yeah. an ethos. I don't know. I don't think it was through ball type thing. It was. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I was I thinking thought, of, I he had this, was, but... he had this slow curve that was like 67 miles an hour. Just as like just this, like Zach Greinke's, which which yeah. I think is, I feel like Ephus is kind of an. I abstract think that's term. no. Well, well Greinke throws he throws a slow curve and an Ephus. He has a curve that's like seventy, but then he does one that's like 65, 64, 63. That's that true. really yeah. is just like a bloop. Uh, yeah. Zach Greinke has many wonderful oddities. Um, he charges yeah, yeah. pitchers when they try to bunt on him. <laughs> like if a pitcher um, squares up to bunt, he'll like run straight at the pitcher after. <laughs> any, any, I, hat, I, any I love that man. I really do love him. Um, so Despagne, Brooks, Kim, Australi, uh, and who else? There's two more. So the so those four are just guys who happen to be on the Orioles. The other two are yeah. Orioles in my heart, uh, and they are Mike Wright, ah. um, which is a great pool, and they are Mike yeah. Wright and they are Tyler Wilson. Um, ah, Tyler Wilson. Two guys who came up and had spurts of greatness as Orioles starting pitchers, yeah. and it turned out they weren't very good. Yeah, my and, great uh, former, uh, what was it, Jim Palmer, Triple A pitcher of the year, whatever. Yeah. Well, his his first start was like seven and a third scoreless with like eight or nine Ks, and everyone yeah. was like, "We found our ace." No, he's <laughs> uh, not yeah. he's currently he's pitching well this year for the Charlotte Knights in Triple A in the White Sox organization. He is. He is oh, our, 
So, I didn't. I um, didn't realize I didn't, he was. I might, see, I might see him in the big leagues this year. I don't know. Um, he was. I so, always was rooting for uh, him. Yeah. Um, I also want to shout out Darren O'Day, who sticks in my mind forever because in uh, in 2015 he threw eight scoreless innings of relief in the most intense game of MLB The Show I ever played with uh, <laughs> college friends. So he's he's a legend. Uh, so yeah, Connor, your broadcasting career up until. Locked on Orioles bed made some reference to it for myself who just met you a few minutes ago and the other seven listeners. Tell me a little just about your career and you know yourself and kind of how you got to got to locked on Orioles and then on here. Yeah, so I uh, I uh, am only a couple years out of college. Um, I graduated University of Maryland in 2019. Um, I did a whole lot of broadcasting there, a whole lot of play by play, and called basically every sport on campus, either on the radio or through the Big Ten Network uh, streaming platform that the students would get to call the games for. Um, And then my senior year, um, I actually got to travel with the Maryland baseball team uh, as their play-by-play broadcaster. Uh, So that was a great experience uh, to do all their games home and road on the radio. Um, And, you know, wanted to really before that knew I wanted to get into into broadcasting, but that was kind of the thing that cemented it. Um, so after that, I, uh, I was in minor league baseball for one summer, uh, 2019. I was with the Hagerstown Suns, who no longer exist. Um, they were the low A South Atlantic League affiliate of the Nationals. Um, so you combine some of the worst facilities in minor league baseball with one of the worst systems in minor league baseball. Mm. Um, oh, boy. It, it was quite a team to watch and quite an experience um, in 2019. <laughs> um, but got my feet wet in minor league baseball. Um, and then after that, I uh, went to Johns Hopkins University, um, calling mostly Division three sports, a little bit of D1 because their lacrosse programs are Division one. Um, for people that, are, that live in the Mid-Atlantic, they will understand that. For people anywhere else, we'll go, what, what is he talking about? Um, but <laughs> anyway. uh, for, yeah, for the listeners who don't know, Johns Hopkins lacrosse program is one of the best in the country, if I remember right, yes. right? Uh, yes, yeah. you know, obviously a great medical school, a world-renowned hospital, and you know, trying to save everyone during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, they also do sports, and also, um, yeah, and- <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, yeah, call their sports. Um, if anyone wants to know, Johns Hopkins is like a dominant force in all Division three sports. Um, so that's pretty fun. So got to broadcast that's all their nice. games, in, including baseball, which their team uh, went to the. Division three college world series for the second oh, straight year this Apple, year, Wisconsin. Let's go. Um, yeah, did, uh, did not win it this year. Um, but they made their second straight appearance. Um, and, uh, have been calling games at Johns Hopkins for two years and obviously wanted to get, you know, a, do a second summer in minor league baseball in 2020. And the minor league season, uh, was cut. And then we lost 40 minor league teams and even more teams cut their broadcasts altogether. Um, and so the minor league thing just was, feasible because i just didn't have enough footing in minor league baseball i had one one summer as an intern basically um and just didn't have enough footing to get one of the very few open jobs here in 2021 um but you know it it gives me time to still do the lockdown orioles podcast which is nice um and i can still you know the good thing about this is i don't have to focus on the orioles every day because you know i i seriously considered changing the name to locked on bay Sox a couple of weeks ago and we're getting there <laughs> <laughs> right, because that's where the Bowie Bay Sox are the uh, the Orioles Double A affiliate is the Bowie Bay Sox. Um, one of my a team very near and dear to my heart because I live just outside of Annapolis, and Bowie is about 
15 minutes away from me. So I have seen many, many, many Bay Sox games. Uh, and for just also to note, the Bowie Bay Sox have the best fireworks show you will ever see. Hmm. Like, I don't know, Connor, have you been to many Bay Sox games? Uh, I've been to two Bay Sox games, I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen fireworks. There. Oh, dude, you got a Friday, Saturday nights, the uh, during normal season. I don't, I don't, I don't know what they're doing this year, but man, they do a killer fireworks show. I used to, uh, when I was a kid, right? There's a, uh, there's two parking lots for the Bay Sox. There's like a main parking lot, but there's like a back gravel parking lot, just kind of like in the woods, basically. And as a kid, my parents would take me and my brother on a Friday night and we would just drive about like nine, nine thirty when we think the Bay Sox game is ending. We drive to that back parking lot, which is free. You just pull up there and we uh, back into a spot, pull out some camp chairs, sit down and you had a beautiful view of the fireworks and you got a free fireworks show. And it was, it was a blast. It's I, I love the Bay Sox and just about all of the Orioles top prospects are currently like that double a team has, it's like DL halls there. Grayson Rodriguez is there. Um, is Adley um, Rutschman's there. Adley Rutschman's there is, is uh Yusniel Diaz there. No, he's up he's in triple a he's in triple a. Okay. Um, but um, I mean, we're at the point where the Orioles have a more watchable double a product than a major <laughs> league product. Yes, they do. Hopefully turns out really well two years from now. But oh, yeah, I, I mean, mean there's a realistic Adley Rutschman is probably better than every catcher on the Orioles roster. Yes, like, no, be yeah, right now. not probably. Yeah, not probably. He, he oh, is. I mean, oh, my, especially as a fielder. I mean, shoot, man, yeah. talk about a precipitous fall of Chance Cisco as like the Orioles top prospect, a top 100 prospect, and then like he's been in the majors for two years, and everyone's like, nope, 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 don't like this. He's he's bad. And he's back in AAA now. <laughs> Yeah, he's um, well. The thing good. is, is like he's just—he's such a bad fielder. He's a bad catcher. Like, he's an okay. He's a yeah. He can he can hit sometimes. He's not a good hitter, but yeah, man. But yeah, Adley Rutschman, I feel like could just—we could put him in the majors right now, and he would oh, yeah. probably. Uh, he's be probably. Okay. I was saying right before we start, he's probably a top twenty catcher in baseball, like right now. Yeah, yeah. I w- <laughs> I would say I don't. I don't think I hesitate to like, I remember Matt Wieters and I remember like how people were just like in awe of the God that was Matt Wieters. So I don't want to like do that. But at the same time, those are BSR days in college too, though. I feel like evaluation (laughs) is interesting. I do feel like evaluation has kind of gotten a lot better in those um, just in the preceding 10, 13 years since Wieters came up. I feel like there's a lot fewer misses in that sense where, the guys who we say yeah. these are the first superstars. Oh, I shouldn't be cursing this early. Um, <laughs> uh, You'll bleep he, it out later. <laughs> mercy. But I, uh, like, on Weeders, though, I have I have heard from multiple people who I respect baseball opinions from. Like you know when when people start saying, "Oh well, you know Adley Rutschman is just Matt Weeders. Like he was fine, but don't get your hopes up." Like I've heard a bunch of people say, "Like Matt Weeders was a great hitter for a catcher, and that's why people were so excited." Mm. Adley Rutschman mm. is a legitimate great hitter who happens to be a catcher right and no no no. I, absolutely yeah. and, and the thing with weeders is like <laughs> you know he was a really good player like he was a very good player he wasn't like you know a hall of famer or anything but the guy went to a handful of all-star games was a gold glove catcher you know was a really really solid catcher um it's, but yeah 
when you get given a name like Mauer with power coming up, yeah, you know, it's kind of oh, and I mean, you know, he was floor. coming out of he was coming out of Georgia Tech, so everyone was right. like, you know, who else came out of Georgia Tech was Johnny mm-hmm. Bench, so you know, you had a lot of that, but no, I think Rutschman Rutschman is I I mean, just the stuff he was doing in college was really special, like really crazy. So I'm I'm very hopeful, uh, and and the God, I <laughs> can you imagine? with me for a moment an Orioles pitching staff that like has three solid starters in like means DL hall and Grayson Rodriguez, like not even talking about some of the other interesting Orioles pitching prospects. Right. Like and not even Zach the fact Lothar that they and all you know, that. probably signed somebody at some point. To, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But just imagine like, cause I mean, man, DL hall's like tearing up double a right now. <laughs> he looks great. But anyways, we, we will talk a little bit more Orioles later, <laughs> obviously, but, um, so broadcasting, I have to say, uh, I and I have always thought this. You have a fantastic like radio voice. Thank you. I have all, like it's it's perfect for broadcasting, and I I kind of wonder has how long has broadcasting been something you wanted to do? Because it seems like based on you know what you've done in college, that like it was what you went into right away almost so has this kind of been like was this a thing like in high school you were like yeah man i want to do play-by-play stuff or like how did that how did that desire develop yeah it it actually wasn't in high school it was you know in high school going to college like you know i had always wanted to go to maryland um both my parents went there grew up a huge huge maryland fan you know football basketball baseball the works um and it always wanted to go there but it also happens that they have you know one of the top 10 15 journalism programs um in the country as well um, and so that was a great combination when I got in, but I, I wanted to do like the sports writing path and there are, you know, two, two, you know, paths you can take in the journalism school broadcast or, you know, what they call multi-platform, which is basically, you know, print slash online, you know, writing journalism. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't take the broadcast path because I went in, you know, being, you know, wanted to do sports writer, sports writer, sports writer. Then freshman year, you know, they, they let me on the air to host a, a sports radio show. Uh, they let me call some softball games on the radio and all of a sudden by my sophomore year, I was like, yeah, I want to do the broadcast thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was, you know, whatever, 19 years old and, and really want to do this, but it's, it's funny because some of the people you meet in the profession in college, whatever are like, yeah, you know, my high school had this whole setup where, you know, we would call all the, the baseball and basketball and football games at our high school. And, you know, we had a TV station at our high school and I was like, I had nothing. Like we had a school newspaper that was barely holding on, by yeah. a thread that I wrote for that, you know, I didn't do anything sniffing journalism or anything that I would ever use to apply to a job or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I always felt a little behind the eight ball there, but um, yeah, it was definitely once I got to college and, and got a chance to do it, um, sit behind the mic, um, just kind of fell in love with that. Yeah, I can see how, how that could happen. That's uh, but that's interesting though. It It is kind of funny you just kind of fall into stuff. That's, that's the beauty of college. You get to try out these things. You're like, Oh crap. I really like this, <laughs> but yeah, now that, um, that makes sense. Anyways, go ahead, Zach. Oh yeah. Does what's the, you've done a lot of different broadcasting stuff, obviously. And I think that would, that just sounds like a, a great experience. Like I wish I did. I played D three baseball and we didn't have broadcasting on like any of our, our, crappy d3 sports and sometimes we would go to like other schools and they would have 
like the radio, the baseball games would be broadcast on the radio. And for my parents, I went to school halfway across the country and my parents could like listen to the games on the radio. And that was really cool. And I always wish I had had like the opportunity to try something like that. So that being the case, what is the most memorable game that you have ever called uh, in any capacity? Oh, that's good. Um, it's tough. One because of. I've, yeah. One of it's uh, it's tough because, you know, most of the stuff I have done recently um, is all Johns Hopkins. And I consider that like my professional broadcasting career, you know, the Johns Hopkins, the minor league baseball stuff. Um, but, but really for me um, was my senior year um, at Maryland as the voice of the baseball team. And, you know, it was cool getting to travel with the team. You know, you're on the bus, you're on the plane, um, you know, you're, you're not a college athlete, but you're, um, you know, getting on the same bus and playing as them to, you know, go to Minnesota and Northwestern and wherever. Um, so that team, you know, my senior year was not amazing. They were like the most 500 baseball team of all time. And we know they, we, we knew they weren't going to make the NCAA tournament and going into the last weekend, last weekend series at home against Iowa, uh, they needed three wins, uh, needed a clean sweep just to get to the conference tournament in the big 10. Um, and the first, the, the, you know, Thursday night, first game of the series, they go, they go up six to two in the ninth, you know, Maryland's closer comes in, but having a great year, senior, you know, one of his last home games gives up four runs, um, go to the bottom of the ninth and, uh, Maryland senior AJ Lee in one of his last home games, uh, hits a walk-off home run, which, um, is still the only, uh, walk-off homer of any kind, uh, that I've called, um, and like the emotion in the ballpark for like a group of seniors who, you know, kind of knew that the end was near, whether it was that night or, you know, a week after at the conference tournament, uh, was just like a lot, um, of emotion. And, and I felt like, you know, it's, it's different than when I'm, you know, I, I've called some like crazy high school games in the past year or so, um, or even some crazy games at Johns Hopkins. But when you're traveling with those guys, um, and you're not just talking to them, you know, 30 minutes before first pitch for a pregame show interview or after the game for quotes for something, when you are on the bus with them at 6 a.m. to BWI um, to get on your flight to Midway to you know play Illinois, um, that is like a very different feeling uh, when they go through that. So that's definitely one that sticks with me always, even though the team you know wasn't some kind of amazing team that went on some amazing run. Do Do you remember what the call was specifically? I do. I actually still know the call, and um, this might seem, you know, a, a little large headed, but, um, if you meet people who are in the play by play business, um, you have to have a little bit of an ego to get anywhere, um, yeah. in this business I've learned. And I try not to have too much of one or too much arrogance. Um, yeah. but you have to have a little bit because like you have to think that you're good at it and have a little bit of confidence. Oh, sure. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants a play by play yeah. guy. Yeah. Right, and you're on such a public platform. It's like insecure. You can't be dealing with like the insecurity. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, nobody wants that. a play-by-play guy who's like, "Well, uh, um, <laughs> that sound, is the uh, first base, <laughs> second baseman, stupid idiot." <laughs> so sorry, we we interrupted. No, no, no. Well, so yeah, do you? So will you mm-hmm. indulge us? You don't have to like. You don't have you to. Don't you have absolutely to don't have to imitate would, the call. Hear, hear oh no, I'm saying he has to tell us what the call so. was. But oh, I can <laughs> or, give you the words. I don't know if I yes, can reproduce that. the moment, but I can give that's you the words. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to reproduce <laughs> the, the moment. Yeah, one uh, zero pitch, fly ball, left field. Waylon back. Lee flips the bat. Walk it off. AJ Lee. 
two-run home run for the Terp senior leader, and Maryland wins it eight to six. And then oh, cut to the he, crowd noise. He I gave like a the, bat, the he bat gave flip. a bat flip. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a legendary bat flip. Like that thing was oh. chucked thirty or forty feet into the air. Um, Great identification of like the iconic elements, you know. Yeah, and, and I wasn't yeah, really looking was, at him. It was just the bat came up into my line of sight <laughs> up in the booth. That so Ooh. that was. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, that so you know that that actually reminded me of something. Um, so you were doing you were doing radio broadcasts, and I I feel like radio play by play broadcast is a very special art form that I think doesn't get the appreciation it deserves because most of us, the way we consume sports is on TV. And I think TV, obviously, you know, play by play in general is, is difficult. I would argue personally that radio play by play is more difficult than TV because the cameras do a lot of work for you. When you're doing radio play by play, you not only have to do what the TV play by play people are doing, you also have to like describe what is happening, and you have to do it quickly. Uh, I've always been especially impressed by uh, radio basketball play-by-play uh, people because that's happening so fast <laughs> that like it gets a little crazy. But what is what's something about uh, radio play-by-play that that has kind of that you've learned a, a skill that you've learned that you that's specific to radio? Because like I said. Not not just something about it in general, but specific to like radio play by play. What's what's a skill that you kind of learned that's helped you out? Yeah, especially in baseball, it's like you know, don't miss a pitch. Um, yeah, and yeah. set the scene, and always, always, you got to tell. You know, for other sports, it's time and score. For baseball, it's inning and score and count. Like you got to keep yeah. giving it because anybody could tune into a nine inning game at any time, and they yeah. won't know. And that's kind of the luxury you get on TV. Like somebody flips on the TV, they know the score, they know what inning, right. you know, what other sport, they know how much time's left. Um, and, you know, some guys will have little timers uh, that they put in oh, front really? of them and every 30 seconds. Um, for me, it's more of like a reminder, try to give the score every batter. Um, at the very least, give it every half inning um, during the inning and then when you go to break. Um, but it's a lot of, you know, don't miss a pitch. And that's the thing, like some of the best you know, TV baseball broadcast moments when two, you know, two broadcasters are having a hell of a time and, you know, the fans are in love with it. They're not calling a lot of the pitches. And that's something you can't get out of radio sometimes because like, yeah, it might be, you know, 13 to one in the ninth and like Stevie Wilkerson might be on the mound for the Orioles, but like, you're still calling every pitch on the radio because that's why people are listening on the radio. They want to know what's going on. Um, So that's the biggest thing that, you know, I've taken away from, doing all the baseball on the radio is like, you gotta, you know, and you know, it's, it's the skill of doing every pitch and still being able to tell stories, set the scene, like weave in stories about batters and pitchers while you're also weaving in pitch, pitch identification, where it was, yeah. what the count is, what the score is, where the runners are, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's, that's something that's always impressed me because one of the, one of the beauties of baseball in, in my opinion is we, we, and we've talked on this podcast before about how like relaxed baseball is, the atmosphere. And I think often play-by-play and color commentary are pretty relaxed too. I mean, some of my favorite one, uh, uh, I miss Gary Thorne, but Gary Thorne used to, used to be famous for like, 
you know, getting a little tipsy by the seventh inning and like having just a, a goofy time with Jim Palmer, just talking about random stuff. I distinctly remember them having a very long conversation about Manny Machado making his own salsa. And he would do that. And in the middle of this conversation, he would say something about like, you know, Manny Machado salsa as Manny Machado takes a two Oh slider on the outside. And then just like, and just work that in. And it was so smooth and natural that, that the pitch identification, the, the count, it, it almost doesn't register in your head. You're like listening to this conversation and it's like it's like a word that you've heard a thousand times and you, it just doesn't even register. And that is really impressive to me. Like I feel like that's hard because I'm sure someone like Gary Thorne has been doing it for decades. And so it's natural for him. But that is something I feel like you've got to learn. You've got to like really work on for it to become an instinct like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you've got to, it, it takes practice and, and that's the other thing too. Like you're still trying to weave it in on TV as well, because although, you know, you don't have to say the, the, the count all the time, cause it's on there and say the score and whatnot, you don't want to go so far away from the count and the at bat, no matter what the score and inning is that you are completely away from the game. Yeah. So that's something Gary would do well too. You know, Orioles down big Orioles are up big, like can still throw in that, you know, and the one one is is taken outside for a ball, and then right back into you know talking about whatever, making fun of Trevor Plouffe's name or you know whatever he, he he's done on <laughs> or the broadcast. The, my, one of my favorite things is Gary Thorne being unable to say Edwin Encarnacion. Yeah, yeah. He would yeah, always say to... he would always like garble it, and he would say Arn Carnacion or something like it was awful. A hundred times out of a hundred. And they played the Blue Jays a lot. <laughs> and he would yeah. be like, and Arn Carnacion hits. Yeah, he will struggle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta <laughs> weave it in there. Um, yeah. And it's, it's it's you know on the radio it's different because you're trying to tell stories on the radio and especially on the radio when a game's ten to one in the in the seventh, like you're trying to tell stories about these guys and also you gotta weave every pitch in there. Um, and it's like something you work on. But the good thing with baseball and especially when you're in minor league baseball or if you know you're doing what I was doing, you know, traveling with a college team. So you're there every weekend. You just get reps. Like there is no sport where you get more reps than with baseball. Like you're back every night. You're there for three hours every night. And like you can learn so much and get so much better like in one game. And then you look up and in a college season, you got 50 of them. In a minor league season, you you got 140. And, you know, you just get better and better every single day. That's cool. Yeah. And those are, those are all really good and interesting points, especially I, I just have to laugh at the, like the idea there's timers. People use timers to remind the score. That's, I didn't know that, but that makes a lot of sense because it's, you talk to, I'm going to butt in with my White Sox mm-hmm. anecdotes now. Um, you talk to, I grew up listening to a lot of White Sox on the radio. I love baseball on the radio. And for most of my life, it's been, it was Ed Farmer uh, and Darren Jackson, two former White Sox players. And Ed Farmer was, you know, he South Side of Chicago guy, was an all-star for the White Sox, was on the radio for 30 years. You know, beloved local legend, great storyteller. And he would be the most infuriating broadcaster on earth because you would tune into the game. And then like 10 minutes later, you'd be like, Ed, what's the score, Ed? What's the score? I don't like this is fine, but tell me what's what who's winning. And yeah. it was like I love it, but it's the same. Like that can be, I can attest how how infuriating that could be. But and I think that also some of that stuff applies to TV too, though, with the like blowout games and having to fill space because one of the big differences I noticed on conversely with the White Sox TV broadcast, which is now uh, absolutely wonderful between uh, Steve Stone and Jason Benetti. But the last few years oh, yeah. of of Ken Harrelson were were 
brutal for, for many reasons, but especially because those White Sox teams were bad. They were very bad. And Hawk was such a diehard Sox fan, for better or worse. He would be unlistenable when they'd be losing. He'd go silent for like hitters at a time. He and Steve Stone already don't get along with each other. And it would be just an unwatchable, an even more unwatchable experience than being down 10 to 2 to begin with, you know? So that stuff, it's yeah. it's interesting. I'm sure there's a ton of thought that gets put into that. And, um, and you know, as long as you're not. 75 years old and in your 50th year on well yeah on that's some of those there are no now i'm curious i want to ask you this connor <laughs> do you have a commentator that and don't worry they're not listening that uh that you really like hate listening to like uh, i'm talking about like a big uh you know not like not like this you know Joe the other Buck. guy who Joe does, Buck's the other call you up after hearing this podcast I, yeah like, i'm not asking you to be like you know the other guy who does the hopkins stuff when i'm not around <laughs> he's no i mean like a guy and also i also want to ask you do you have any on uh, the inverse of that do you have any broadcasters that you like really look up to or like oh those are those are the guys i kind of model my style after and then also the ones that you can't stand to listen to <laughs> yeah so the can't stand i mean the first thing comes to my mind is the guy i've watched call 80 percent of the orioles games this year and that is scott garceau scott garceau, um, scott garceau. speaking of butchering names yeah they're to just say rio ruiz <laughs> yeah luckily they dfa'd rio i think they did it just for garceau um but <laughs> i mean you, how did he say it ruiz yeah every time he couldn't he just too many vowels he just (laughs) but i mean tumble through it you want to talk about 100 to zero i mean going from gary thorne to scott and dude that's a whole nother two-hour podcast Uh, (laughs) at least at least we have kevin brown right well that's the thing you have kevin brown but kevin brown has this whole espn contract where he was calling the women's college world series and all the regionals yeah um and he calls college football and college basketball that you know, you get a good chunk of him in July and August, but then other than that, yeah, you know, I think he's on the schedule to do like seventy of the one sixty-two games. That's not enough for me. Like, I oh, can't yeah, watch absolutely. Scott Garceau not know the names. Like the Gary thing, yes, and and it was also kind of endearing that it was always Encarnacion, and he struggled with a couple yes, other names, yeah. but it was this guy we saw all the time. I can't have Scott Garceau not knowing how to pronounce the names of the good players on his own team. He like, constantly says Michael Franco. Yes, and it's also and been like, two years, Scott, and everybody <laughs> yeah. else knows how to say Santander, and you don't know how to say it, and you've said it 14 <laughs> different ways, and guess what? He probably would have been an all-star last year if that game happened, and Scott's just going to go until the Orioles trade him with not knowing how to say Santander um, until the yeah. Orioles trade him to the White Sox, and he's gonna just going to go this whole time without <laughs> knowing how to say Santander, but I mean, there's a lot with him that, that makes me not like him besides the fact that he can't pronounce anybody's names um just the low the low energy yeah. on the broadcast and look well, god bless the color commentary guys though because i will yeah. say so we've got ben mcdonald who does a wonderful job he does and um and jim palmer who yeah. i i've all, always loved listening as a color guy i yeah, i do miss they also dumped mike bordick which i kind of miss i miss him they dumped jim um, hunter as well and Jim Hunter, Jesus, uh, yeah. yeah, I know, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on Scott Garso. I I think every Orioles fan is. I yeah. I complain about him to my parents all of the time. <laughs> I mean, I think he's really the top guy that comes to it. And then, to be honest, like you know, uh, I you know a lot of it's baseball because of how much baseball I watch and consume, and how much more you hear of those people, you know, than you know your national football TV broadcasters or, or whoever it may be. 
Um, but you know, the, I always thought the Nats team was the worst team in baseball. And, and obviously, you know, that team is now broken up because, you know, FP Santangelo should not be anywhere near no. any kind of job or anywhere right now. Um, cause he's an awful guy. Um, and, but I honestly thought he was an awful broadcaster before that as well. Oh, um, we've slandered so anyway. even before all that stuff broke, like several times for weeks before that stuff broke, we have slandered FB Santangelo on this, on this podcast. He's, yeah. He's for yeah. Reasons. And I think Bob Carpenter, the Nats play by play might be okay, but because he was paired with FP for so long, I think <laughs> it just dragged him down. Um, yeah. but you know, named to the, the Mitchell report, you know, FB yeah. Santangelo. <laughs> yeah. He is like probably other guys who I'll watch and listen to. Um, and I think the thing about being in play-by-play too is you kind of appreciate it a little more how hard it is. So I think I honestly get more upset at analysts and color commentators for being bad because, like, to be honest, like their job's a little easier. Um, and <laughs> when they're really that bad, um, it's annoying to watch. Um, but you know, as play like it's just I watch so much Scott Garceau because you know no matter how bad the Orioles are, like. I got to, you know, record a podcast that night. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you got to watch them. That's the one that pops into my head. But you asked about the positive side. And I will say yes. to keep it with the Orioles, I love Kevin Brown. I think he's fantastic. He's and I hope the Orioles can sign him to some sort of kick Scott Garso out of here and Kevin, all Kevin <laughs> Brown contract. Um, yeah. And, but other than that, like across baseball, like I love Jason Benetti. Like he is fantastic. I love, I mean, honestly, I like Benetti better for college basketball. Um, and college football, and he's with but Bill I, Walton, man, it's like, right. It's, well, it's well, like, when Benetti's with Bill Walton, that's just fantastic. <laughs> um, but some of the other guys like Dan Shulman, who does the blue Jay games, then does the, you know, game of the week in college basketball, um, is fantastic. And then Joe Davis, um, is just like top class, um, with the Dodgers. And I mean, how about filling in for Vin Scully and the fact that the do- the quality of the Dodgers broadcast has not missed a beat, um, with yeah. Joe Davis is just unbelievable. Um, but there are a lot of good, lot of good voice i mean the mets booth is fantastic um the whole booth together uh like gary cohen's great but the whole booth with um with keith um and ron darling is fantastic but i also have watched you know like everybody's broadcast like all 30 teams and kind of have some sort of opinion um on everybody's broadcast just the amount of baseball i watch but those are the ones that kind of stick out and honestly i think we're at the point where like scott garso is my least favorite announcer in baseball and i hate that he's the one i have to watch every night <laughs> It's yep. awful. Yeah, that makes a difference. I want to shout out Don Orsillo there too. He's one of my favorites. Oh, I, fantastic. I, I don't think I, I definitely don't watch as, as many ones as you, but I find myself going out of my way. I watch enough like scattered MLB TV games. You know, whenever they're on, I'll always have one on in the background. And I find myself as I watch more and more, especially as the season goes on, gravitating towards certain games specifically for the broadcast. Like if I have, I'm usually given the choice between, you know, two or three West Coast games will be like, you know, Oakland and whatever and San Francisco and San Diego. And aside from the fact that San Diego is a very fun team that you want to watch anyway, like I will always choose San Diego because I love listening to Don Orsillo. Yeah. yeah. Reason number 44 to turn on the Padres. Uh, yeah. Right. yeah. I should well, make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I've unfortunately, found... not wearing my Slam Diego shirt. Um, which oh. I did wear the other day, um, but that is a fantastic call to keep going. Oh, as, as I, Tatis I, hit one man. today. Yeah, oh, I, uh, <laughs> I've I've found I also turn on the White Sox uh, games often just because if I'm like looking for a game to watch, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I'll listen to Jason Benetti. Like, and I and I used to do that when when Vince Scully was doing. It. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll turn on a Dodgers game just so I can hear him talk. 
but um, I'm kind of I am actually a little bit surprised you didn't mention Joe Angel as an as an Orioles guy. Yeah, uh, it. You know, I love Joe Angel, and I think he is like the perfect home radio announcer. Like, I think he's just yeah. like. Like I don't know how he'd play doing games nationally or whatever, but to be able to yeah. listen to him every night, I think he's great. And you know, it's so funny because I listened to so much Joe Angel like growing up and throughout yep. the Orioles yep. becoming good for the first time in my life. But I am so saturated with Scott Garceau in my mind right now, <laughs> um, and I love Gary Thorne and all my favorite yeah. Orioles yeah. moments ever were called by Gary Thorne. Like that's yep. the thing. Yep. But there is so much bad Garceau in my mind right now that it is like <laughs> that it's hard to purge cutting out Let the me. existence You'll... of like Fred Manfred and Joe Angel. Oh, Fred Manfred too. The man, the dream, the the best one was way back in the nineties was John Miller and Joe Angel together. Mm-hmm. The two of them, man, I, I grew up listening to a lot of John Miller and Just, I, there's one that I'll go out when he, whenever he still, you know, goes in. Does, does he still do? Cause I know he was doing giants games for a while. Is he still doing that? He's not doing national games. He's definitely he pops in on Giants games now and then. Yeah. And I will like that's another one where I'll go out of my way to to take a listen. To oh, that he's he's that was my the first broadcaster I was ever like that I ever loved that I knew the name of. There were two: John Miller and then the guy who used to do the Orioles in the nineties, Michael Regai. John Miller, Miller and Joe Morgan were the Sunday night baseball crew that I. Oh grew yeah. Up with. Oh man. Yeah. That was yeah. That was a that was a good team. Um, I thought I, and Morgan was a better player than announcer. But I am curious, actually, on your opinion. One last play-by-play guy opinion before we uh, move forward to uh, some baseball, but uh, some other baseball, I guess. <laughs> what like is the first your? Time we've talked baseball in the first forty. I know, I know. Yeah, we're <laughs> talking a lot of baseball, but it's it's fun. I'm curious what your opinion is on uh, a guy who I think a lot of people have strong opinions on, uh, Gus Johnson. I love Gus Johnson. I love him so much. I think, and now I, it's it's funny because you know I actually I have obviously like a, a strong core group of friends who are all in the journalism school at Maryland, um, and a couple of us have done play by play like, um, and the rest of them are like big time sports consumers who look at it from like a media angle. Like I have a friend whose dad is like an, an executive was at like CBS Radio and now at SiriusXM and kind of knows all these play by play guys. So. It's kind of fun to sit around like with your friends and not just talk about the game, but also talk about the announcers. Um, and that's something I've experienced as well. And there's kind of a split on Gus Johnson among my friends. Um, but I am on the pro Gus Johnson train, and I would love nothing more for him to be back on the NCAA tournament to um, somehow Dude. get him back to CBS for the NCAA tournament. But, um, you know, I think he's fantastic. I think. If the moment isn't right for Gus and Gus is still on the game, it can kind of ruin the Gus Johnson. Like when <laughs> Gus Johnson's doing the big noon kickoff and, you know, Ohio State is up 40 on Maryland, like that's not what Gus Johnson needs. But yeah. when, you know, the slipper still fits for Gonzaga, like that is one of the greatest calls of all time. Um, and like he needs that moment. And I wish we could just package him and like fly him in for the NCAA tournament every year. Yeah. And he could just go vacation for like the other 11 months. Oh my God. He is a, he is delightful. I love him so much. But I do want to ask one more broadcasting related thing. Yes. No, please. So just the way you said that, are there any other, who are some other like polarizing figures in the broadcasting in the broadcasting world. I don't know. People who have like people have strong opinions either way. Yeah. So obviously Joe Buck's the first one that comes up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the polarization is between people in the industry versus fans. 
um, because Joe Buck, I have a very like complicated like opinion on Joe Buck. <laughs> I think Joe Buck is if you want a game to have really like barely any mistakes, um, just kind of a crisp broadcast that goes pretty smoothly beginning to end. Like you're going to throw Joe Buck in there. Mm. If you want yeah. somebody going nuts, somebody to rise to the moment like crazy, you don't want Joe Buck in there. And I thought his call of the Stefan Diggs, you know, Minneapolis miracle was pretty good. But like that's yeah. kind of the yeah. only good Joe Buck call that really rises to the moment that comes to me. And in the business, the thought of Joe Buck is, you know, why does he get all this hate? He's so good at his job. Like he does all these big games. But, you know, he gets the hate because like people watch the NBA finals and Mike Breen is like yelling bang 50 times and going nuts. Um, And you turn on the World Series and, you know, Aaron or you turn on, you know, whatever the ALCS and Aaron Boone's hitting a home run to send his team to the World Series with Brett Boone in the booth. And Joe Buck's like, oh, is that a homer? I can stand. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, whatever's happening, these crazy World Series moments. And he just doesn't really live up to it and so and my other thing is like yes he is now you know morphed into a better announcer the last couple years i think he has felt the criticism a little bit but like it hurts when you're someone in the industry and you know like joe buck it's a lot of criticism some of it is warranted and like a lot of where he got to is because of his dad that kind of sucks for a lot of people yeah i mean there's gonna be some like hard feelings about that no matter no matter what (laughs) I do feel like he has gotten better though. Like I, I, the, the big criticism for me was always, yeah, just no emotion. I mean, you know, game winning walk off home run was, and that's a deep fly to right center. And that will win the game. Until it it is kind of telling that like, until very recently, I, I think in my mind, like his most iconic call is one where he was repeating his, what his dad said call yeah yeah in the probably the <laughs> coolest moment he's called with like right with in that yeah. david freeze game is still like i'll still go watch that on youtube sometimes absolutely unbelievable you know uh which but i do think having i see this discourse play out online a lot the joe buck discourse and i've seen people giving him a lot more respect lately not necessarily because he's super exciting but like for the reasons the kind of industry reasons that you give where he's just like he's good and i think people do kind of recognize the range that's needed to do like the Super Bowl and the World Series and all of these things that he does do a lot of stuff. And so I think people do are starting to kind of respect that a little bit, even if it's like, yeah, he's maybe not your like ideal big moment guy. So it's a give and take, but it, that's really it also it also helps that Tim McCarver's gone. Yeah. And <laughs> but here here's the other issue. We have like, Alex Rodriguez now though. John Smoltz <laughs> John Smoltz stinks. True. Like A Rod on the National Broadcast stinks. And like, you got to get somebody in there who <laughs> likes slash knows about baseball. Like, how is that a how is that such a tough right, combo? Right, right, right. Get somebody, somebody who enjoys baseball. You yeah. get all these I've heard some really interesting theory. Like A Rod from people I've heard from people who talk about him. We've talked to people who actually know him. He's a genius as far as like baseball goes. He really knows baseball, which is like completely unsurprising. He's one of the greatest baseball players ever. So it's like you put him. I think someone said like, what would happen if you put him in a booth with David Cohen? You know he'd probably be a lot more bearable, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't know. He, it's something about him. (laughs) 
I don't know what yeah. it is. He just he gets he gets kind of curmudgeon-y too. Not as much as Smoltz but that, does. But that's what I'm saying, though. I think if you put him in a if you put A Rod in a context where he's not with like Matt Vesgurgeon and the Sunday Night Baseball crew going like <laughs> yeah. gul, 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 stats and too much launch angle, guys, you know. And yeah, yeah. I, I think if you took him out of that context, he'd probably be he might be a little you might see like other skills shine a little bit a rod will... is, is an analyst who writes down a bunch of stuff he wants to say and then he <laughs> yeah. makes sure he says all of it yeah. and nothing else <laughs> for every broadcast yeah and pretty much like the thing when he said <laughs> like you want to be up by even numbers instead of odd numbers or whatever that incredible quote he gave a couple years ago <laughs> yeah like that's just next There's level but that's what i was talking about earlier how like you know i have so many more opinions i think on analysts because i know what the play-by-play chair is like mm-hmm. and to have analysts like that especially on big games um it 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 you know makes me think about that more but i think you know joe buck is definitely like the polarizing one and then i think others that polarize people are the older guys who have clearly lost it but are kind of legends in the industry and it's like Mm. the young like people my age being like i get it they were great in the 90s and in 2004 but like they have lost it it's hard to listen to like we gotta move on versus people who are like they're legends like the number one name that comes up there is marv albert who is now retiring finally he has been yeah. unlistenable, unwatchable for the last five plus years. Um, but everyone, you know, wants to talk about how he's the voice of the NBA. Well, why has he not yeah. been doing the finals for the last fifteen years? Like, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it, those are. It's probably Joe Buck and then kind of the older guys who were legends yeah. and now just don't have it. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I was thinking of uh, my favorite Tim McGarver moment, and I think it was. I think it was his final year where he was uh, speaking the lyrics to Enter Sandman. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, Mariana Rivera comes in, and Tim McCarver literally just starts saying, "Hey, you know, he's got this uh, this song he walks into, uh, Enter Sandman by Metallica. It's uh, Exit Light, Enter Night. Uh, take my hand." We're off to Never Neverland. Like, just... hey, even just three weeks ago, less than a month ago, I listened to eight the final eight innings of Corey Kluber's no hitter in the car, listening to John Sterling and Susan Waldman try to, you know, talk about no hitters in 1897, and <laughs> while trying to tell me something about spin rate, I don't know, like, yeah, it's like um... semi. It's like it's it's funny because it's it's like. You could tell that there's something there, but it's also more often than not just kind of incoherent. Like there, yeah, there was so, one something there, but uh. I just I just thought of one last I and I promise actual last broadcast question. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite call? Like if it, not not yours personally, but one that a big famous or not even necessarily famous, but a, a call that you heard at some point that really sticks out in your mind and it's okay if it's a super famous one like we all love the impossible has happened with bartolo Colon's home run like yeah we all love that <laughs> i mean i mentioned like probably one of my top five which is the slipper still fits by by gus yes. johnson like oh that's God. incredible yeah. but like for me like this is such going to be a homer answer but it also helps that i love brian anderson he's awesome with the brewers he's awesome on the ncaa tournament he's awesome when he does national baseball games but like his call and the atmosphere of the Delman Young double in 2014 and like oh national baseball fans might be like, you still love an ALDS game two moment from seven years ago. And it's like, absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah I do. I watch it all the time. The, um, I, yes, I frequently put on the Delman Young double just, yeah. just, and that just to call, feel something. 
And a lot of calls are helped by the moment and the crowd, obviously, and that's yes. one of them. But yes. that call plays so well off the crowd, and Brian Anderson is so so good at what he does. Um, and like you know, it's also the scenes of the call too. Um, but that is an absolute legendary one. Ah, that is just that is my favorite. That might be my favorite Orioles moment. Yeah. That, it's definitely uh, been mentioned on here before. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You, you talk to any Orioles fan who saw it, and <laughs> it's like one of their favorites. It, there, yeah. there are a whole lot of Orioles fans who will just like, I, every time I see it on Twitter, I will retweet it. A hundred times out of a hundred, I'm like, I love this. I'll retweet it. I'll go watch it on YouTube. There are two. There are actually two sports moments that I will rewatch on YouTube randomly for fun. That and the Mile High Miracle yes. Ravens against the Broncos. Yes, where uh, the the hail mary that Jacoby Jones catches, to, oh, just what an incredible game! That was insane. But um, this is this is a good segue to talk uh, a little bit more about baseball, specifically the question we always ask every one of our guests, and kind of the main theme of this podcast is why baseball. There are a lot of a lot of different sports out there. You have called many of them. Uh, what is it specifically about baseball that you love that makes it unique from other sports? The pace of the game is like, you know, the opposite of what people like. But for me, it's just like it is a relaxing sport where like people enjoy it in different ways too. like people enjoy the react relaxing nature of it that like you can walk into Camden Yards and just like chill with your friends for three hours um, and sit up high and like notice sometimes what's going on with the baseball game. But like for me, it's that, but also the fact that like you can be hanging on every pitch of like a playoff game for three and a half hours, but like you get these little breaks of hanging on every pitch. And like I have watched like, you know, basketball games where I am intensely, you know, invested and like you don't get a break from being intensely invested and like you just feel exhausted at the end. And that happens at a playoff baseball game too. But I think like just the, there's still like, even if it's game seven of the world series, like there is still like, you know, you can stop and look around a little bit, like while baseball is going on, like no matter how big the moment is um, and kind of like you, you have time to soak it in no matter what. And I think like, I enjoy that pace. Like if speeding up the game is going to help it grow, like I'm okay with that. But like the pace is what makes it so different. And the lack of a clock um, just makes it like more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's one of my, one of my favorite things about baseball is, is the suspense. And I think the suspense happens because of the pace because you have like there's nothing better or or well better and sometimes it's nerve-wracking and awful but there's nothing better than a big moment you know you, you know a bottom of the ninth playoff game you know to down by one run teams got its last chance and you know the the at bat could go five pitches the at bat could go the next the at bat could end up in a single which doesn't score a run but just you know adds an opportunity Mm -hmm. and it just it draws out that suspense so much that you're just you're on the edge of your seat with a basketball game you're on the edge of your seat for 
you know, the the 10 seconds that the ball's been inbounded and they're and they're trying to last play. With baseball, that suspense can be drawn out for mm-hmm. 20 minutes. And and you just there's nothing better than like, you know, the big pitch coming and then they do a, a zoom out and they're scanning the crowd and you're just seeing all these people just like, oh my God, like just people stressed out. And it's that's just the beauty of it. It just is such a suspenseful game in certain moments. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would say that a lot of times, like speaking to like suspense, you know, in big moments, baseball, even, yeah. even if a hit happens, you know, say tie game, bottom of the ninth, guys in scoring position, second base, guy at bat, hits a ball to the outfield. There's a lot of steps that have to happen for the game to be won. Whereas in basketball, you know, guys got it, you know, one second left, shoot, makes it, or shoot, misses it. Same with football, Hail Mary, throws it, catches it, throws it, misses it. With baseball, it's like, okay, hit to the outfield. All right, it landed. Guy got it. He's got to throw it in. Okay, here comes the throw. Guy's rounding third. The throw's coming in. He's caught the ball. Does he tag him? I don't know. Did he tag him? Oh, umpire called him safe. Well, let's take a look at, you know, there's a lot to really draw that moment out Mm -hmm. that I think makes it special. Definitely. Shockingly, I'm going to cut the part where I sounded like an amnesiac. What I think you don't see, what I think you see in baseball more so than other sports is things can turn around from one to the other really quickly. If it's a blowout basketball game, for the most part, energy is going to yes. be low and you're not going to have like maybe one in a hundred times you get a 25 point comeback in the fourth quarter or something like that. You know, football, same thing. And you have that same element of, okay, Hail Mary, you know, yeah, baseball, it's sort of like you can be down four runs the entire game, four or five runs. And you're a game like that. You're probably not super locked in, right? Let's say you're down four, nothing going into the ninth. Your team hasn't done anything. You've just been, you're probably barely paying attention, you know, walk single, single, suddenly tying runners at the plate. Everyone's standing up places going nuts. You know, that that's a real zero to 100 that I think you don't necessarily get in other sports, because like you said, you have those breaks where you really can just like kind of forget about the field for 30 to 45 to 60 seconds at a time. Um, and it creates all these other dynamics that are really that good. there's there's a quote that I've mentioned on this podcast before from Earl Weaver that I, that sums up what I love about baseball so much, uh, and it's in the in the club level of Camden Yards, it's up on the wall, and the the quote is he says you can't sit on a lead and run a few plays into the line just kill the clock you've got to throw the ball over <laughs> the damn plate and give the other man his chance and that's why baseball is the greatest game of all. And it's a hundred percent correct. No matter what, no matter mm-hmm. how big your lead is, you've got to give the other team a chance. There is a time when it is mathematically impossible for the other team to win in a timed sports. There is never a time when thirty-five runs to zero. It doesn't matter. There is still a chance. Maybe unlikely, but it is not impossible. If you've got a 40-point lead in basketball and there's two minutes left, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So, right, and, that's, and that's, that's the beauty of baseball. So I think that is a wonderful answer. Um, so yeah. we have – yeah, so the Orioles, unfortunately, have not given you guys a whole lot to love about baseball. <laughs> not in, a lot of suspense there. Years. No. So uh, moving back in time a little bit, do you have any – um, favorite Orioles player of years past? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, 
I think there were so many like kind of cult, not cult hero guys, but like fringy guys on the Orioles <laughs> because of how those teams were built. You know, mm. the, obviously like I, I missed out on the late nineties, good teams. Like I was too young, extremely too young um, to be anything, you know, aware of, of that at all. Um, so my good Orioles teams were Buck Showalter 2012 to 2016. And yeah. like, I love Adam Jones more than anyone. Like that oh. guy is synonymous with the return of good baseball to Baltimore. That is what, you know, a top three trade in Orioles history. Shout to, out Eric Bedard. Yeah. Baby. To get three all-stars for Eric Bedard is just a phenomenal job. It is. Uh, I would say probably the second best trade they ever made behind the Frank Robinson. Frank trade. Robinson. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so, you know, Adam Jones will always, you know, hold a special place in my Orioles fandom, my Orioles heart. Um, but there are also guys who just like come and go who you fall in love with. Like mm-hmm. most baseball fans are going to be like, who's Ryan Flaherty. But like every <laughs> Orioles love fan him. is like, yes, Ryan Flaherty. And like, that's best, Buck Showalter's best utility guy. guy, best utility yeah, guy. Like, that's Buck's guy. Like, it's utility guys have a way of sticking yes. with you like that. I yeah. would be willing to bet White Sox fans will say the same thing about like Larry Garcia in five years. Yeah. Years. And like yeah. for the Orioles too, especially like, they were built on the back of having a ridiculous bullpen for five mm, years. And like right. without those bullpens, like that's a team with no starting pitching that relies on the long ball. And like without the Darren O'Days and the Jim Johnsons and the Brian Mattises and the Pedro Stropes and the Zach Brittons and the Brad and Brocks, the, the one year of Andrew Miller, right? Like those teams are <laughs> nowhere. And so like those guys stick with you. Whereas for other teams, like you're going out there you know, for the White Sox, like, I can't wait to see Giolito pitch. Like, oh my God, Rodon's throwing 100 from the left side. Like, this is awesome. Whereas for the Orioles, like, this whole John Means thing is, like, new to us. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. This is completely new. Oh, like, it's like, I, yeah. can, can Miguel Gonzalez get through five so we can turn it over to, you know, the bullpen and start I getting heard. it to Strope and O'Day and Johnson and all these guys? Dude, I, Miguel Gonzalez. <laughs> I, I was talking, but I think before we started recording about just my experiences going to many, many bad White Sox games um, in the mid-2010s. In 2017 in particular, I probably went to like 15, 20 games, and I swear to God, I saw Miguel Gonzalez start like at least eight or nine of them. As you should. To the point where I was like, and he was probably their best pitcher that year. It was him or freaking the guy who we traded a certain shortstop for. Um, oh, James Shields, the guy you traded. Yes, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that some, guy. Some, some it's, shortstop. It's, yeah, I, uh, I just had, oh, man, Miguel Gonzalez, man. I do love like finesse 87 mile. That's what you're saying, though. Like, you know, 87 <laughs> mile an hour righty fastball. Got you 180 innings a few times, you know. And yep. Yeah. That's but uh, it's. <laughs> For the Orioles, it's relievers, but, uh, it's utility guys. Like, you know, I, so I, you know, I, I say I own two Orioles. I say I own one Orioles jersey. I technically own two, but one of them's Chris Davis. And I try to keep that one as far back in the closet <laughs> as possible. Uh, the other Orioles jersey I own is Steve Pierce. And like, that is oh, the man. Oriole. Like, that is the Oriole of that mm-hmm. time. Like, I know he won World Series MVP with the Red Sox. And I love and hate that at the same time because he's always <laughs> going to be remembered for that. But like he had his yeah. best years of baseball with the Orioles. And I was watching the uh, MLB YouTube game the other day. I think it was Pirates and the Dodgers. Uh, they had Buck Showalter on the pregame show um, for the YouTube game. And he they were asking him about players who can play different positions because they did a whole story on Chris Taylor um, before the Dodgers game. And he said like, there was basically no player more valuable to me than times. One day told, 
hey, Steve, we're injured. Can you go play second base? And Steve Pierce was basically like, yeah, sure. I've never done that, but I'll go take some grounders. And then Steve <laughs> Pierce started like three games at second base for the Orioles on a team that was like trying to win. And like, right, that's right. like the Orioles guys. Like those are the guys. At least some, but like, I need some of those dudes when the Orioles are good again too. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh man, Steve Pierce. <laughs> and I'm surprised you didn't mention Tommy Hunter speaking of bull- bullpen guys. Yeah. Big, big game. Tommy Hunter. He, uh, uh, he had what a multiple joy. stints. Yeah. What a joy of a person he like two I would say the two happiest people in baseball are like Tommy Hunter and Brett Phillips. Yeah. I like, just, just love that Hunter's just, still pitching. He made oh, it back I love to, it. to the bigs They're with just, the Mets. Yeah, man. Just like those both of those guys are just guys that just exude joy every minute that they're on the field. I like I desperately wish that like Brett Phillips was a better player. <laughs> because he is just he is just, I mean, just so happy all of the time. He's just top of mind for me because of what he did yeah. yesterday <laughs> where he pretended to charge the mound at Jorge Lopez, which was just amazing. It just, and he's like I, laughing. He's the so fact goofy. That the, no, the, umpire, the fact that the umpire really thought he was about <laughs> yeah. to go, you know, start something. Out there. Uh, and the then like least. he, Brett Phillips is, if the word golly became a person, <laughs> Like that's Brett Phillips. It's and the same just, kind of thing. I, like Brett yeah. Phillips had a serious moment, and yeah. you know these guys get their moments too. Like Steve Pierce, oh. like getting his moment, and Phillips, like getting his moment. Like mm-hmm. that's awesome. Like nothing oh. is better when they get their moment, even though you know, like they're not usually the best player on the field. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. another thing that people have talked about as being great about baseball. That like you can't just ride the stars. You know, you Brett Phillips has to have his moment. You know, you say the say the name Jeff Blum to a White Sox fan, and they will light up. You know, this guy say took Bucky, 10, Bucky Dent to a Yankee. Bucky fan. Dent, exactly. You know, stuff like that. That's that's yeah. No, that's that's a great one. I feel like the Orioles are an organization that would definitely produce a lot of a lot of those guys for sure. So, um, speaking of the Orioles. I do want to. There are two Orioles specific questions I want to ask you. Um, one, you mentioned Chris Davis, and I am curious about your opinion because uh, I. So I will. I will. I'll, I'll tee you up by telling you what how I feel about Chris Davis, which is I used to get really frustrated with him, and now I feel really bad for him. Like I have, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for him, especially after that that Sports Illustrator profile that came out a few years ago, where it was like talking about Chris Davis just like sobbing in his kitchen because he can't figure out why he's bad. And like, but, but I know there is a lot of there obviously because of how much the Orioles are paying him until like, you know, the, for the next century, uh, we'll be paying him like five years after Bryce Harper's contract ends. Um, it's insane. But, uh, <sighs> Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I know a lot of Orioles fans really can't stand him. I'm curious what your feelings about Chris Davis are. Yeah, I mean, this. I, it's so funny because, like, I don't think I've mentioned Chris Davis on a daily Orioles podcast since I think when the Orioles came out and said that he got hip surgery like a month ago. I think I mentioned that that he was officially done for the season, and before that, I think it was mentioned when they officially put him on the 60 day IL to start the season. Like, you know, it's so far out of this team for being the highest paid player by far on the roster. And, you know, the only player left over from when the Orioles were good, basically, you know, him and Mancini and Mancini was a rookie. Um, But, you know, I I kind of fall into that same category where it was extremely frustrating, like 2018, you know, he signs the contract and, and 
I think people lump in like as soon as he signed the contract, he was terrible. That wasn't really the case. Like he signed the contract his first year of 2016. Like he was solid. The Orioles made the playoffs. Like he was a big part of that. 2017, like he wasn't great, but the Orioles were in it until the last couple weeks of the season that year. Like he was okay. 2018, the Orioles collapsed. Chris Davis collapsed. And, you know, that becomes synonymous. And then 2019, he goes over, you know, whatever it was, 650 yeah. or whatever it was to start the season. And, you know, he says all these records. And it it was very funny when he got the hit, you know, at Fenway Park. And, you know, he was obviously able to laugh at himself. But, you know, that's when kind of the frustration ended, kind of at that moment when he got that hit, I felt like. And I started to feel bad for him. And then seeing what he had to go through last year and basically being a bench player for the first time. Because for the first time in 2020, Chris Davis was blocking people. Like Ryan Mountcastle was ready to go for the first time. And even with Mancini, like they were able to put Mancini in the outfield and still play Chris Davis. But once Mountcastle was, you know, knocking on the door and it was time to go, like that was the first time he was ever blocking people. And that was the first time you were ever like, he's not going to be on the field. Like they can't even put him on the roster because he can't really be a bench back because he can't hit. And, you know, all of the, you know, solid glove he used to have at first base pretty much gone as well. Like he's just an unusable player. And I do feel bad for him because one, like, Chris Davis, the guy is great guy, like what he's done for Baltimore, what he's done, you know, what he's gone through with his family and, and, you know, one of his kids has had a lot of health issues and he has donated so much money to children's hospitals in the area. Um, and you're having family members who work, you know, in children's hospitals in the Baltimore area and just like knowing, you know, what that money does. And, in, you know, that's a huge thing. Um, and you know what his, his family's been around forever. Like he came to the Orioles in 2011, like he's been here for 10 years. Um, and what he did was fantastic. Like the Orioles had a top three MVP finisher in 2013. Like he was a huge part of the Orioles winning all those games from, you know, 12 to 16 when they had the most wins in the American League. And now it just makes me sad that like it is going to end in the worst possible way, which is I think the Orioles are going to cut ties with him at the end of the 2021 season without him playing a game in 2021 because of a back injury and then a hip injury. And even if he didn't have yeah. that injuries, like I don't know how much he would have been able to play anyway. Because Mancini's rocking and rolling, and you have Mountcastle and and other guys on this team, and you know 2020 was you know what did he get 50, 60 plate appearances off the bench, you know, and he got like five hits, and it was horrendous, and so like that's the last Chris Davis you're gonna remember, and like when he when he hangs it up, and like I don't, no one's gonna sign him to a minor league deal or whatever when his time with the Orioles is up, like when his time with the Orioles is up, it's done. And so, like, you know, maybe, you know, this winter we're going to start thinking about what the legacy of Chris Davis is. And, like, that is, like, complicated as hell for Orioles fans to be like, yeah, this guy was the coolest thing we'd ever seen for four years and then legitimately became the worst player in baseball. Oh, legitimately had the worst season in the history. When there was discourse about, like, oh, this Albert Pujols contract when the Angels let him go is the worst in baseball. I was like, are you kidding me? Like Albert Pujols is on the field right now. That automatically (laughs) makes his contract better than Chris Davis is. And so it's just seven war. Yeah. Yeah. It's just legitimately the worst player uh, in baseball. And well, and then, yeah. And then on top of that, like he's got this Bobby Bonilla contract. That's goes to 2037. 2037. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're paying him. Yeah. Yeah, We're paying him bucks every year for, yeah. Three and a half million, 2023 through Yikes. 2032, and then 2033 through 2037, we're paying him 1.4 million. 2037, we will be paying him for the next 16 years. And and the thing is, is like, 
I can only imagine how much that weighs on him because he doesn't strike me as a guy who's kind of like, yeah, man, got my money. Suck it. Like that doesn't, I, I don't think that's him. He strikes me as a guy who, who would feel guilty about getting all this money and being terrible, uh, especially signing the largest contract that the Orioles have signed a player to, I think ever. I, I think his his seven year one sixty whatever million co- dollar contract was the biggest that um, the Orioles have ever done. And then, yeah, yeah it's it, it's sad because it, yeah, he he from everything that I read, he does seem like very thoughtful, and it's not like he wasn't trying. Is the thing I, I remember when. Adam Dunn was a huge free agent acquisition of the White Sox before the 2011 season when they were supposed to really compete and all that stuff. And it was, you know, big, one of the bigger deals our painful franchise ownership has ever committed to in, in, in history or whatever. And Dunn immediately came out and had what, what was at the time, you know, it was a Chris Davis esque season. He hit like 160 with 10 homers or something like that. The only reason, the only reason he didn't break the single season strikeout record was because Ozzie had mercy on him and benched him for most of September. Uh, and he was a guy who kind of like admitted like he didn't pick up a bat during the off season. So then it's kind of like, all right, maybe I don't feel quite so bad for you at this point, but Davis seemed like he was really like trying, well, like, you yeah. said, really, like, you know, made, I don't know. He's made a lot of tweaks and his swing yeah. has been a little different every spring training. It, and like, if you remember spring training, 2020, he had like a really good spring training and people were like, can he fit into this team somehow? And then of course the season gets shut down. He comes back and it's all kind of gone again. And, and his body, he's changing his body a lot. Like he came in 15 pounds heavier for 2020. Then he came down like 25 pounds lighter for spring training 2021. And like his body is completely breaking down. Like he had major hip surgery a couple weeks ago. Um, and it's just all coming to a head where like, you know, Michael Elias had said once Chris Davis got the surgery, like, you know, he should be back for spring training 2022, which is the final year on his contract. Right. I just don't see them bringing him back. He is just this cloud over the organization right now. And I think the thing that makes 2022 different is even though last year and this year, he would have been blocking people when Adley and DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez and all these guys are in major league spring training, not just to be in major league spring training but have a legit shot of making the team out of spring training. You just can't have this cloud of a past Orioles who's the worst player in baseball. Like everything that surrounds Chris Davis, I don't think you can have him there. And yeah. it stinks, but it's they've got to cut bait at the end of this year. And I it's I mean, what a fall. Like yeah. what well, a and fall. I speaking to his his work ethic, I also remember there was a there was a moment where that was being questioned. I don't know if uh, you remember Jim Palmer, like calling him out on a broadcast saying like, you know, he says he's been working on his swing, but I don't see anything. And like they did, (laughs) they did a freeze frame during a game where a pitch was coming in. And so uh, like Davis famously had a whole bunch of looking strike threes. Right. And they did a freeze frame in the broadcast uh, or in the post game, I mean, where they looked at the pitch coming in, and they froze it, and they looked at Davis, and it looked like his gaze was elsewhere, like he was not looking at the pitch at all, and that turned into a whole. This was right after Jim Palmer had criticized him uh, publicly, and then that turned into a whole like, see, look, he's not even paying attention up there; he's just standing up there 
you know, watching strike three go by. And it was just, it was really nasty for a little bit. Like I, I remember going to opening day 2019 and he came out there and Camden yards lit into him. And that just, I, I that just kind of like, sucks, man. That just yeah. kind of sucks. It's like, can you imagine yeah. just being like being the best in the world at your job for most of your life, and, and then you're just awful, yeah. and people yell at you about it every single Uh-oh. day. He, he came like, running out there in I, the entire I, I wish, stadium. Uh, Forty thousand yeah. people booed him. I wish I yeah. wish people would would remember that more. And we talked about we've talked about that a few times with the whole toxic fandom thing. And so I'm I'm yeah, that's a really unfortunate circumstance with spring training that I hadn't really considered. At the same time, one might also hope that like maybe because it's the last year and it's been like this is not a novelty anymore for at least for I maybe I don't know what it's going to be like for local folks maybe, but like. Would, at this point, it's like four or five years into the Chris Davis is suddenly really bad thing. Is it there maybe not a possibility that it's kind of just like, okay, he's got one year left. Let's just kind of like, I don't want to say like leave him alone, but it's like, it's not really a story anymore. We don't have to kind of I have think, this whole, you know. Yeah, I think Orioles fans kind of have gotten to that point where yeah. we're just kind of like, forget it. As I, mean, I there mentioned, was, like, there was, yeah. I don't bring him up on the, like, he doesn't <laughs> get talked about. Like, he's by far the highest paid player on the team. And like, again, I mentioned that he got surgery. Like I mentioned that he started the year on the 60 IL. Like, you know, there's so much more to talk about with the Orioles and they're terrible. And there's so much more to talk about. Like, it's just, it's, he's passed me by like, you know, he's still on on the roster. I get that. But like he, it doesn't, it's not worth it to talk about him that much anymore. And it stinks. Cause like, I mean, that was that 2013 season. Like that was, Mm. and the Orioles weren't even that great. They missed the playoffs, but like that was awesome. That oh, was, was he, had a, he had a four homer game, didn't he? Uh, he I had a couple four, three homer games. I don't know if he had a four homer game, but I he hit fifty three. Yeah, that was. I yeah. thought he was going to hit sixty that year when he had a month or two. That was, but yeah. So um, hopefully, there's a universe where that opens the door to some kind of like pressure off. Maybe he comes in the next year and it's really just like a first. We're done here, and you know he hits a few homers and maybe hits two hundred or something like that. We can go out with like some like, hey, okay, you know. You know, we'll we don't say, have to man, feel like horrifically, I, horrifically bitter about it for the. Rest I of the I life, really you know? want I I really wanted to get better, but we'll see the uh yes. the <laughs> final final, and I promised to all the listeners who are like Jesus, what the Orioles podcast is this? But <laughs> the last Orioles question I will ask you, I want your opinion on the rebuild so far. How do you feel it's going? Do you think you uh, you feel good about it? You feel a little skeptical, worried? I feel like. Orioles fans are often like when the Orioles start to succeed, Baltimore's kind of like, eh, I don't know if I trust this. <laughs> so how are you feeling about the rebuild so far? Yeah, Ben, I know you're like, you know, obviously more tuned into to Orioles Twitter than Zach would. Um, but I don't know if you noticed there's been a lot of infighting over the past month or two about Mike Elias, about the yeah. rebuild, about rebuilding yeah. in general. And I think those are two different things because rebuilding in general i think is a serious conversation that needs to be had around baseball like do you need to get all the way down to win championships i don't think you do i think the astros did that and it worked but i don't think you do but i think that's getting mopped in with what do the orioles need to do and there is so many layers to the orioles because realistically if dan duquette done his job better like maybe this goes differently. Like if Dan Duquette even looks at a country outside of the U S for a baseball player, like maybe this 
a little differently. Right, and right. Like, I mean, in, in Mike Elias' defense, like the he was starting from basically zero. He was right. starting no, with he no did not have any, scouting, no technology, no analytics department. Yeah, nothing. And I, I come and, at from the perspective as like a White Sox fan. We had Chris Sale and Jose Quintana and Adam Eaton to to deal out and give, you know, I mean, who was the who was the guy, the number one guy you got for Machado? Yeah, there was also um, Dean Kramer, Dean Kramer, who's kind of been a sort of a he's, somebody. He's had, he's had moments. Yeah, but no, and you're right. That's, that's, I, I feel like Baltimore, you guys did start from a lower base than even like kind of the Cubs and the White Sox and yeah. um, the Astros in terms there of was, like, the cupboard was mostly empty by the time it, he even started. It's not just yeah. a player rebuild. It was a full organization mm-hmm. like the famous yeah. Dan Duquette quote from the winter meetings when Otani was, you know, basically shopping around for where he was going to play. And Dan Duquette goes on the radio and is basically like, as a philosophy, as an organization, we don't consider things like that, as in bidding on a star from Japan. Like, yeah. Oh, I mean, he, he, and, and, and on top of that, like, he had this whole thing. I remember just railing on him constantly about how much he hated uh, cutters cut fastballs he had this whole thing where he like sorry he, like, crap yeah oh yeah exactly i mean he his that philosophy is the reason jake arietta like jake arietta left uh hmm. the orioles went to the cubs won a cy young and did a had a whole sports illustrated piece where he was just like i don't know what the orioles were doing but <laughs> they kept me from being good and and we did and duquette had had that thing where he like there's a there's an article on fan graphs. It's still there where like Duquette is talking about like how, you know, Mariano Rivera, that's not a cutter. That's just a slider. Like, you know, just, just this, this really dumb stuff. And on top of that, Duquette had a whole bunch of infighting, especially in his last year where the owner, not, not Peter Angelos, the owner, cause he's, he's really old and not really involved, but his sons uh, were kind of like, we want to be in charge. And then there was Brady Anderson, who was like kind of he? Yeah, he was in the front office. He was like a special yeah. assistant to the GM. Yeah, uh, but but he was he was. Oh, so you're the, one of those organizations like like the White Sox, where just like any former player who wants a job, it's like come on well, in, come on in. Brady Brady was like the fitness guy for a while because because Brady is and always has been like jacked to the tits, and he um. He then kind of worked his way into the front office and was uh, instrumental in the signings of uh, uh, Chris Tillman, the re-signing of Chris Tillman, the signing of um, uh, Giovanni Gallardo, I believe, was was one of his moves. And, and so there was this infighting between Duquette and Anderson and the Angelos brothers. And I just remember I wrote an article back when I used to write for the Baltimore Wire, which is a Baltimore sports blog for fan sided. I wrote it. I saw it pop up in my Facebook memories. It was three three years ago. Whenever we the whenever we traded Machado, which I think was three years ago, I wrote an article and the headline was "The Orioles will find a way to screw up a Manny Machado trade." And and it was in part it was because of the infighting because I was like Duquette's the only guy who's got experience in actually making these kinds of trades, and he's made. In his past, he has made some very good trades. Like he is, hey, he has Theo, had some. Theo, good I always said Theo Epstein gets all the credit for the 2004 Red Sox, but that was Dan Duquette's team. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Duquette absolutely. Even the 2007 team, he drafted most of the cornerstones of that team. Yeah. So I mean, but, Duquette has had some had some 
success. But there was there was just all this infighting going on, and on top of that, there was a really low market for rentals, which Machado at the time was. He was a half a season rental, and if they had traded him when like there was a year left on his contract, I think they would have gotten more. Um, I don't know how they did. We didn't end up with Dustin May. Even Dustin May himself said, "I thought I was going to be an Oriole." Like. <laughs> He, he said, I thought I was going to Baltimore and I didn't like I it just and we did. I, in my opinion, we kind of did screw up a Manny Machado trade. I think we got using uh, Diaz has not been that impressive. I think at he best just hasn't been we healthy. got. Well, yeah, yes. Health has definitely been an issue. I think at best we got a bottom of the rotation starter in Dean Kramer and we got a utility infielder maybe in Ryland Bannon. Maybe in Ryland Bannon and a halfway decent sometimes outfielder in Diaz. Uh, and then we even dumped, didn't we? At, uh, no, Zach Pop. Was Zach Pop part of that trade or he was a different trade? Yeah, he was. And then he got picked in the Rule 5. In the Rule five right, draft, yeah. right. And he's actually been a pretty decent reliever for the Marlins, I think. Um, but yeah, I, and I think we did screw up that trade. So yeah, I, I, like, I, like we said in Mike Elias's defense, he was literally starting from zero. Yeah, there was nothing there. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting because, like, there's still a lot of losing. Like, Mike Elias has been here 2019, a lot of losing. 2020 was kind of fun ish, but of course, 60 game season. If that's 162, there's a lot of losing. Um, and 2021, a lot of losing. And to be honest, like in 22, we're going to see Hall, Rodriguez, and Rutschman, the Orioles' top three prospects. But I don't know if we'll see him for the full season. And they're still not going to be built around. Some guys and the Orioles could spend if they wanted to this offseason, but you know, Michael Elias and, and the Angeloses haven't shown that they're gonna be willing to do that yet. And so like twenty twenty three is the target year to like get back to contention. And that would be great. But like it's also gonna stink if like the top three prospects are up and the Orioles are still gonna win like sixty to seventy games. Like that's gonna stink next year too. Like and Detroit I, right now. You don't yeah, wanna I, end up like Detroit yeah. right now. <laughs> and I get the frustration, but like the other thing is like this system was one of the worst in baseball, and it is now considered a top five system with some extremely good players. They are spending in the international market. Michael Elias has done a solid job drafting so far, and I know people are mad about the Heston Kerstad pick. And I know something adds on to that is because he had a terrible health scare that no one could see coming and still hasn't played baseball because of that. And that's a lot of, you know, if Heston Kerstad was healthy and was hitting bombs in Aberdeen right now, like I don't think people would be as upset yeah, about yeah. that pick, but he hasn't played baseball yet because he had my cut art myocarditis that is tough to say um yeah but, it is you know he uh, obviously tougher to go through and he still hasn't you know been back on the field yet but i like the direction the Orioles are headed i like that michael Elias has been pretty open about what's going on and also open about like you know we have cut some payroll and like it stinks that hanser alberto is not on the orioles this year and he's not a future piece but like he was super fun to watch and like Renato Nunez was hitting bombs and was fun to watch. And like Jonathan VR had a pretty good season for the Orioles in 2019 and was fun to watch. And those guys are gone to cut payroll. And, you know, Jose Iglesias was awesome last year, gone. And, you know, that stinks. And if all these guys come up and they are good, like the Orioles are going to be legit good. If a lot of these guys who they say are, are good in the, in the farm system are good and they're willing to spend on a couple free agents, like they're going to be legit good. But the other thing, like, you have to take into account too is that whatever happens, you are in the toughest division in baseball always. Yep. And like maybe it does make more sense to instead of trying to win 
kind of stringing along like you did 2012 to 2016, where you had a year in between where you were around 500 and then you built it back up again the next year and then you fell a little bit and you built it back up. Maybe the best way is just to tear it all down, do it all Elias's way and be like, let's turn ourselves into the Astros without the trash cans because that's how we can beat the Yankees instead of like lucking into, you know, those early 2010s where the Yankees were old as hell and didn't have any prospects and like we're just running Travis Hafner out there um <laughs> instead of that you know and Vernon Wells and stuff like Ooh, instead wow, of getting lucky there um and you know having the Rays go through a little dip and having the Blue Jays be bad and getting little visions like do it your own way try to maximize at some point you can be and like down the road here's the thing like it, watching all this losing sucks too. Like I want them to be a little better this year, even than they are like, you know, you can rebuild and not lose 14 games in a row. Like you can rebuild and not lose 16 straight road games. Like, you know, you can rebuild and, you know, throw no hitter with John means. And then, you know, the Orioles haven't won a road game since John means threw no hitter. Like it's tough to watch. Yeah. And I hate that. I know that too, but I, I, I have to, <laughs> um, and it's tough and I want there to be more winning now, but, if the Orioles win a World Series, you know, from even, even I say in between now and like 2030, like the next decade ish, if they win a World Series, like it's worth it to me. Like the Orioles oh, have yeah. not won a World Series since 1983. Like there yeah. is not just people like me, but people like a lot older than me who have not seen the Orioles win a World Series. And like if they win it all, even if they don't win it all, if they become like a legit playoff team and not like a we might make it this year, we might not next year, like, yeah if people are picking the Orioles to get to the playoffs, usually like three, four years down the line, like that's worth it because even when they were good a couple years ago, like they outperformed all their expectations every year to be that good. And like even right. in the late nineties, they had two good years and like those two teams were legit and one of them should have won the world series, but like they didn't. And it was two years then it was over. And this one was like, it was five years and they got lucky for a lot of it. And they had the greatest extra, innings and bullpen teams of all time was over and it got inst and people we drew a rebuild for 20 years how are we still rebuilding the Orioles did not rebuild from 98 to 2011 they brought yeah. in Sammy Sosa and you know a bunch <laughs> of other clowns at the Derek end of their Lee. careers Vladdy. Derek Lee and Garrett Atkins and like just some truly oh, man. horrendous baseball players and try to pair them with Dehada Roberts Marcakis Mora and put something together (laughs) that won 75 games a year instead of having a plan they had no plan and now they have a plan and so like i'm in favor of it but like this could change if by 2023 the orioles are not a competitive team because like that's going to change all of this because by 2023 we're gonna have full seasons of all the top prospects and there's gonna be money to be spent and if they don't spend it and they're not good like this is gonna flip but right now like i'm behind this rebuild yeah i sorry go ahead ben uh, no, I was just gonna say Orioles legends, Sammy Sosa, <laughs> yes. Derek Lee, Jim Tomey, Orioles yes. legend. Jim well, Tomey. he was on a good team, so I, I, I don't get mad about team. Jim Tomey. Was, yeah. What about Vlad I, Guerrero? Was he Orioles was he legend? Vlad Guerrero. Cup of coffee, yeah. Yeah, was, Vladdy, His um, last year in baseball was with the Orioles. Orioles legend Vlad yeah. Guerrero. Think, Orioles legend Johan Santana. <laughs> <laughs> For all of his spring training, <laughs> all of spring training. Orioles legend Dontrell Willis. Yeah. Uh, I I loved okay. having Jim Tomey on the team. I loved it. I Jim Tomey's one of my think favorite there's players ever. Been, ever. I don't think there's ever been a team or a fan base that hasn't loved having Jim Tomey on their team. Oh, honestly, he's just he's, he's everything I've heard. I saw him in an elevator one time. I was at uh, 
I happen to be, I was staying at the same hotel as the White Sox in Minneapolis when I was visiting family back in like 2006. And I'm, I'm like 11, 10, 11 years old. And uh, I get into an elevator to go downstairs. And I kind of just do like a, like a, Mercy! and it's this like, you know, six foot five. <laughs> so I'm like, a, I kind of just sputter. And I was, he's a large human. I have, a, I have another yeah. picture of myself with him. It's very cute, but he's gigantic. And I'm like, he's a, he's a, 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 that's Jim Tomey. It, I said, like, you're Jim Tomey. And he said, yeah, isn't <laughs> he it? He gave wild? me an autograph. He was really sweet, and it was. But anyway, great guy. It, isn't it wild when you see those kinds of athletes in person? Like they're 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 athletes. You see them in person, you're like, okay, yeah, you're an athlete. And then there are some people you see them in person, you're like, oh my god, you are. How are you a human being? And then like, it's like, and then you appreciate that much more though the athleticism, oh, yeah. and the fact that they can move as quickly that, as they do, and. And, oh, and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. so the the people that I I like every now and then you look at like I've never seen him in person, but I guarantee uh, meeting Giannis Antetokounmpo <laughs> is like you see him, you're like, how are you the coordination a human right? being? Yeah, how are you a human being? This this big, this Six large, Le- is very tall. Oh, Six I feel like very, very LeBron. LeBron's probably the same way. My mom saw uh, met George Murazan, who was a <laughs> Washington <laughs> Wizards player, who was seven foot oh, seven. seven Tallest player in NBA history. Tall, yeah, and and my mom's like my mom's like five three, so she's standing next to him, and she's like, she's like looking way up. I mean, seven foot seven. You look at this person, you're like, how are you a person? That's like that's funny. But I, yeah, basketball players are different. The, the last thing yeah. I will say about the Orioles and your the rebuild before we get on to some other stuff yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I trust. I would trust that Elias would have a plan as much as I hate everything that has touched the Houston organization and their, you know, the, I the choose to believe that Mike, in, you know, I, I choose to believe it's, Mike Elias was not involved look, in the trash. I would, I, I hope, I would hope that Mike Elias has a, on a personal level has a bit more of a conscious and is less of just kind of a repulsive dude than Jeff Luno is, or seems to be at least. Uh, but my point being though, coming from that organization, I would be reasonably confident that he does have a plan which you look at, I think that, you know, the situation you want to avoid is ending up like the Phillies or the Tigers, where you have your top prospects hit the majors, you know, Mize is in the majors, Scoobles in the majors, you know, uh, Torkelson's probably a year or two away tops in, in, in Philly. It's, um, oh gosh, who do they even have now? Like Bohm is in the big leagues. They got Harper, they yeah. got Real Muto, but so many other holes emerge and they just didn't do it coherently. And so you, you know, it's, it'd be become top heavy and you top out as an 80, 81 win team or something like that. So, well, and I would be and, confident. I would be reasonably confident that you're not going that direction, but like, you know, and, and on top of that, the analytics team was built by Sigma Dell who uh, did ah, yes. a great job with the Astros as well. So that, that also gives me confidence that, you know, having a guy like Sigmeidel, it, it sounded like to me when the Orioles got Elias and Sigmeidel, they basically said, "Look, this is your, th- this is your, this is your, bl- yeah. this is your unformed clay, molded how you want." That that was the impression, like, especially considering we had no analytics department. It kind of felt like they went to Sigmeidel and they were like, "Just do something," and he kind of had, I I would bet he had more freedom than he probably had with the Astros because uh, it was just like, you're an established person, do your thing. And I think it's the same with Elias. So we'll find out. We'll find yeah, out what happens. Yeah. I'm, but Before we get on to the random stuff, the real random stuff, I, yes. do, I do want to take it down a notch from, from pro baseball yes. to college baseball a little bit, which you do have a lot of experience. I saw some 
I watched a lot of college baseball yesterday. I saw some very, very wild, wild things happening. Um, it's great. So a couple college baseball questions. One is about uh, stadiums. Do you have, I'm sure you've been to tons of them uh, traveling with teams and all that. Do you have any stadiums, college stadiums that are memorable or your favorites for any reason? And also uh, what aspects about college baseball are u- unique from the pros that you really enjoy? Uh, yeah. So for, for stadiums, you know, I did a lot of, of big 10 baseball. So I haven't as much seen uh, a lot of the awesome sec stadiums and awesome ACC stadiums. Uh, but this is going to be super random because like college baseball fans are going to be like, what are you talking about? Because this isn't really a program that has a lot of success. Um, but Michigan state, obviously known for mm-hmm. basketball and football, their baseball stadium is unreal in mm-hmm. right field. There is an extremely short porch on which a like, Hill similar to the old one in the Astros stadium <laughs> goes up in right field, but it's not, it's like steeper. It's almost like its own wall. And then there's the wall, but the whole hills in play. And then if you happen to hit it over this hill and over this wall, there is literally just like a river, like right back there. And we're like, not talking about like, it looks in <laughs> Pittsburgh or like in San Francisco where like, Oh, you hit the ball yeah. in the water. It looks cool. It's like woods and like somewhere where you would like go camping or hiking and you just like hit the ball into a stream back there. And like this wall, this wall and this hill in right field is like nothing you've ever seen. And like it doesn't really get a lot of play because Michigan State's not very good. And so they're never on national TV. You know, they never make it to the NCAA tournament. You know, nobody really ever sees the stadium, but it is just the weirdest. And one of Maryland's assistant coaches was also their former right fielder. So when we would go there, I would just interview him before every game for the pregame show and be like, how do you play this wall? Like, are you running okay. up this hill? Um, but you know, that that's just a weird stadium. But as far as um, college baseball goes, um, the, the, one of the other reasons to like baseball is like, there's so many different levels it's played at and different ways the game is played, like from watching the majors to the minors to division one college to have seen a lot of division three college to watching, you know, the KBO and, and seeing high school baseball and all these different levels. Um, the college baseball atmospheres when it gets good um, and the like camaraderie is incredible. Like if you've seen any of the regionals and super regionals, like at Ole Miss, when somebody hits a home run, all the students in right field with their beers, chuck their beers up into the air in unison. When somebody hits a homer for Ole Miss, um, like at Arkansas, you know, number one team in the nation this year that just got eliminated uh, after they hit a home run, the entire crowd does this ensuing woo pig suey chant um, for like the next four pitches to the next batter. Um, just the, the crowds liken to more like a, you know, KBO game that I watched, you know, some of in 2020 where like the fans are like in unison part of the experience. I feel like that's almost like, like universal with college sports, whereas just like the college kids are way more into it, which, which just makes it so much more fun. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, that's the thing that, well, yeah. That's the thing I love so much about college basketball that that the NBA I think is missing, and and I don't even know how the NBA would get it, but the the college fans and college basketball it's just it's so exciting and yeah, fun. It's, it's great, the best. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. Okay, um, I l- I wish we would hear that. That's a great also reason to love baseball in general, though that I had not thought of the fact that it is played in so many different places at so many different levels is kind of a unique aspect to it that I hadn't considered that just makes it quite enjoyable. Yeah. 
Um, oh yeah, for sure. I I love the uniqueness of every different park. I mean, you, mm-hmm. I I've talked about this with some other people before. Like, I can name some super cool baseball parks. When I think of like exciting NFL stadiums, they're all I'm the like same. they're all kind of the same. Like Raymond James Stadium is kind of cool in Tampa because they got the pirate ship. Like, they got the pirate ship and like right. And because, only because you see it on TV, you'd probably get there and be like, oh. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, or uh, <laughs> um, but then like you've got like MLB parks. Like, what's the one that's got a swimming pool out in the outfield oh, or like Arizona, beyond the outfield? I think. Arizona. There, yeah. yeah, Arizona's got a big swimming pool out beyond the outfield. I was, wall, so like people I was hit just home in runs Detroit like, oh, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I was just in Detroit yesterday. They have a merry-go-round in front of the freaking like outside the concourse. You know, it's <laughs> oh yeah, Comerica's Comerica's yeah. beautiful. Great like park. they great park. It, there's uh small, and then like what is it um Marl it's not Marlins Park it Lone Depot Lone Depot has like an aquarium or whatever like yeah. just they used to have the statue stuff. that they took down yeah they took down the statue I know that made it I was so Miami though it was <laughs> but all right all kinds of goofy <laughs> um, stuff but anyways yeah we're gonna move to the uh the last <laughs> section of the podcast which is kind of some more random stuff and the first thing we are going to do is the order of operations trifecta. We're going to ask you uh, three different things, and we want to know the order in which you do those things. Uh, the very first one, when you get dressed, do you wear sock? Do you put socks or pants on first? Uh, if, ooh, it would be socks first if it is, uh, you know, long pants. If it's shorts, it's, it's shorts on first. That's you know it's interesting of okay. all of of the three in this trifecta, I feel like socks pants gets the has the most division. I think of yeah, like, this is yeah, very, most evenly split. Is, yeah, with interesting. Okay, so what's the reasoning for like what is the difference between the pants and the shorts that's causing the change in the order of operations? I feel like just sometimes when I'm wearing shorts, it's hot, and I might not put socks on because I might be wearing mm. flip flops or something. But then when it's pants, I'm definitely wearing socks. And also, like, if I'm, you know, dressing up a little bit more for a broadcast or whatever, like, trying to have the socks match with the pants and right. the tie and whatnot. So those are those are exceedingly valid reasons um, for doing that. Yeah, we get a yeah. lot of either side answers on this one, but this is the one where I usually I hear it and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can't argue with that. Which is not always the case with the second one, uh, which is if you eat cereal and if you drink milk and if you eat the two together, because as we know, some on this pod don't necessarily, um, which comes first, the cereal goes in first, then you pour the milk. All right. You know, okay. Another one for the, the super cut. <laughs> yeah. Another one for the super cut of, uh, everyone who does cereal before milk. Well, one yes. day, one day we're going to get someone who's like, you know, actually I do milk before cereal, but yes. And Zach is referring to the fact that I eat dry cereal, like, uh, apparently a sociopath. No, that's um, fine. <laughs> well, so the thing that I've mentioned this before, but the thing that my wife makes fun of me for is I, I pour dry cereal in a bowl and sit down and eat it with a spoon and instead of like, just like, you know, doing handfuls out of a bag. It's like, you know, munchy stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, whatever it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I firmly no defend it. I firmly defend it. And I think it's delightful. Okay, but I think it's anyways, more that it's special K and less that it's the no. <laughs> yes, it is special K. Anyhow. Then, yeah. <laughs> anyways, uh, the final part of the trifecta, uh, when you brush your teeth, toothpaste or water first? Toothpaste first, then water. Makes sense. That is the correct way, in my opinion. <laughs> but, so does, do you do water first, then toothpaste, and then more water? No, or just, tooth, just toothpaste. Okay. Then toothpaste, water. then water. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, no, that's, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. 
The one, the I, only one that's really unacceptable if you just go like if you just go toothpaste no water and just go. You know? yeah, yeah, who was it? Was it was it Justin? Who's, it was who, Justin. It was Justin. Who just who, said toothpaste no water, just toothpaste <laughs> go in. Like yeah, it's that's a little too crunchy. That's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's way too. That's oh, my, I just said that, and my wife just made a face at me where she was just like, "Oh my god!" Like uh, the most I think sooner, look. I, sooner or later, I want to get like a third a reaction cam of your wife as you say things. <laughs> We should have a reaction cam of my wife whenever. Absolutely. There have been multiple times on this podcast where I've said something and my wife has given me a face like, oh my God, no what? Context. Or like an eye roll or yeah. Like I, she, of, uh... actually, so when we started the order of operations trifecta, because of how much I've asked people uh, in which order they put on socks or pants first, as soon as I said, all right, when you get dressed, socks or pants first, she gave me an eye roll that I think registered a little bit on the Richter scale. <laughs> it's only episode like, oh 16, baby. Let's anyhow. This question. Anyways, yeah, let's we've, move forward. We've, uh we've we've talked a lot of I think we've talked more about baseball on this episode than pretty much any other episode. This is like yeah, this is like enough. the most this baseball a, heavy episode of a very much of um, this podcast ever. But Outside of baseball, uh, who are your? What are your favorite non-baseball sports slash athletes, if you have any? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say baseball is definitely the top dog, um, sports-wise. Um, but after that, probably um, comes college basketball. Um, I'm a huge Maryland fan um, when it comes to college basketball, and uh, I'm a rabid watcher of college basketball. Um, so it's not just like Maryland games. It's like a sickness with the amount of games I will watch <laughs> during the winter. And when March comes around, like that's the most beautiful time of the year. Cause the NCAA tournament just rolls right into opening day. And there is literally nothing better than like opening day being like the day after the like final four, like right. that's especially just, coming after that post super bowl dead period. Kind yeah, of that's know, just, um, and then athletes wise, like, I mean, how can you not love Lamar Jackson? Um, like obviously the being, best, yeah. I obviously love being that a Baltimore man. fan, um, so being, much. He's being a best. huge, being a huge Ravens fan, Lamar Jackson. But I did mention Maryland basketball, so I have to like shout out uh, Juan Dixon and Gravis Vasquez, um, and of course the many more that were were there when I was stu- a student that are in the NBA, like Kevin Herter, Jalen Smith, oh Bruno Kevin Herter, and such. Kevin Herter, like low-key really solid nba player yes he is that that did not like i feel like when he got when he entered the nba i don't think anyone really thought he would be as good as he is like he's not like a total stud or anything he's but a good he's, sixth or seventh a, man for a playoff yeah, he's a really solid really solid guy with great like three he seems shot. like he seems like just the way he plays and the way he looks he seems like he should have played for duke honestly <laughs> yeah don't say that no, don't you know do not that. no <laughs> Cut that. No. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna, don't you mention Duke. Oh, disgusting. Do you remember the uh, um, I whenever I think of UMD basketball teams, I think of the brief time where I was like really, really into UMD basketball. And it was the uh, John Gilchrist, Nick Kaner medley. Those are my uh, first teams. Like the first Akeen, teams. Akeen Abikwe yes. uh, era of there was a there was a so for you know, these are all guys that nobody outside of Maryland knows. But there was a time in the early mid two thousands where Gary Williams had the starting five that people were like, "This is like these young guys coming in. This is like the legit starting five for Maryland. They're going to be total studs." And it was like John Gilchrist, Mike Jones, 
at Ooh. shooting guard, <laughs> uh, Nick Kaner, Medley, Akina Bickway, and um, Will Bowers. And this is uh, such a good name drop that maybe <laughs> only me and you are going to know these people, but I absolutely right. love this. Dude, oh my god! Yeah. So exactly. Well, and so say, yeah. that's kind of the point mm-hmm. is that everyone except for Bowers, everyone was kind of like, yeah, Bowers is just he's like seven two, and that's why he's there. But everyone else, they were like, these guys are like legit. They're going to be total stars, and they very much were not. <laughs> like at best, I think John Gilchrist was like the best we had, and he was like fine yeah and he got just, it. he got like a half season in the nba and that was like yeah. yeah and it just i just remember it being hyped up so hard and then it was just like the biggest fall on your face like ever just all for the whole starting five just bombed <laughs> it was it was yeah, awful but um actually you so as a umd guy i'm i wonder i wonder if you uh crossed over with sung min you're the second umd guy we've had Mm-hmm. on the podcast uh sung min kim uh also went to university of maryland college park I don't know, what did he and he yes. was two years after me i want to say so he would have graduated in 2015 so I, I think came to school the fall of 2015 so he was kind of around um at that okay. point um and we the first time we interacted was he was taking pictures at a Maryland basketball game against Georgetown my freshman year. And he took a picture of me, which ended up as my Twitter profile picture from the stands <laughs> for a while. Um, and we have great. interacted many a time since then and um, have, you know, met him multiple times and um, very friendly with Sung Min, that is who is a, a great a, member of baseball Twitter great. and helped me get into the KBO last summer. Uh, which Sung, was Sung Min with some... He's he's wonderful, and that's kind of funny because that means you have a uh, sort of like third degree connection to uh, some of my closest friends who went <laughs> to UMDB UMD and were friends with Sungmin. Like one of my best friends since high school is the reason Sungmin ended up on the podcast because he's like, oh, I should text Sungmin and see if he wants <laughs> to be on your podcast. Like, so oh, that's okay. that's funny. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, I got this anyway, is really. Oh yeah, no, go ahead. Go, no, no, go one, ahead. If we're, if we're if we're name dropping, this is really really sad. The name that I immediately associate with um with Maryland basketball is um. Oh, fuck. hold on, <laughs> I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. I have to make sure make sure I have the right name here. Are you gonna say Len Ooh. Bias? <laughs> it Len, did he go to Maryland? Len Bias. Oh yeah. Oh, oh! You know who I was thinking of? No, I was thinking of um Fab Mello. Unfortunately, he's um he was serious. Fab Mello. Oh my god! Maybe yeah. thinking of Mellow Trimble. I was Mello thinking. Yes. Thank you. That's Fab, why. Fab much Mello less sad was, um, than that. Much less sad than. I mean, Fab Mello, Mello Trimble was, was not as good as I thought he was going to be, but much less sad than Fab Mello overall. Fab, yes. Fab Mello was. I think was. Fab Mello he was, was Syracuse. He was, yeah. he was Syracuse. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know he. he oh my god! Say. Talk about talk about a fall. That guy was like oh, the well so him and like uh what's the guy from Gonzaga. Adam Morrison, yeah, who had the who had the little Fisher Price My First Mustache, uh, who uh, he was like he was like a stud and then just mm-hmm. died oh. in the NBA. He was, Ugh. yeah, but well, that's funny that Mello Trimble is the guy. Too, so wait, who did? So Fat Mello died in real life too. Oh man, I did not know yeah. that. It was a real Fab- like they never kind of really told. We don't really know what happened still, I think, but it was in Brazil. It's a really sad story, his whole thing. Oh my god. Um, I but never not heard about thankfully that. not Mellow Trimble, who was very fun for a while. And I remember I'm I love I like Big Ten basketball. I don't follow I don't have any college affiliations. Um I played like like I said, D three baseball at a tiny up school which had no sports really to speak of. Um 
and neither of my parents went to uh, big sports schools or anything. So just being in Chicago, though, I follow most Big Ten teams. Like I'll root for. I was excited when Northwestern made the tourney. You know, the one time as was uh, every but, other person in sports media. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just every other person in sports media. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, all right. Anyhow. So next, next question in our sort of random section. Uh, do you have a favorite and or least favorite baseball movie? <laughs> oh, uh, so my favorite is Moneyball. Um, Great answer. Even though they leave out the part where they had a bunch of Cy Young candidates, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> right. Right. Um, the movie notable, was still good. Notable gripe. With the- <laughs> um, so my least favorite. Um, and people get mad. I don't know if it's the least favorite, but my hot take that it's not as good as people say is Sandlot. I knew I liked you. I uh, knew I liked you. All right. It's, it is. Okay, this is, you know, the, the GTA burst of the, uh, all right. Ah, oh, shit. Here we go. Hold on. Did you just say, did Me? you just say GIF? Do you not say GIF? Give, uh, I, can't, I can't. It's, I'm sorry. It's been ingrained in my hands. I will, hands. I will like, kick you off this podcast. Uh, you say don't GIF. Take, you know, don't tell Nick. Don't tell Nick. Do not say GIF in my presence. <laughs> the GIF of, of GTA. So I have too much, too much shame to uh, this. <laughs> uh from you know says uh Burst! here we go again this is me coming to defend sandlot for the no i I, <laughs> I won't i won't dive into no, the okay. sandlot. i want to hear your reasons i want to hear your reasons Connor. yeah yeah no. just suffice to say it's a running joke that i hate the sandlot and i i don't hate it but i don't like it yeah i don't have too many good reasons i just don't think it's like the most amazing i, I don't have enough like backing to get into it i just feel like it's not the most amazing baseball movie. it's it's That's when valid. it gets voted Bleacher Report did a best uh, sports movies of all time vote, and the fans voted, and Sandlot was voted the number one best sports movie of all time over stuff like Raging Bull. And I'm like, okay, let's reel it back. Other things that Bleacher Report votes on. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I'm just like, that's that's when we're at the point where I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. Let's. This is taking it a little far, but I'm I'm glad you said that. That is. That's a valid not reason to take you can on just like podcast. not like a movie. It can just not entertain you. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> no, I and, and the thing is is like my thing with the sandlot is I've always said I don't hate it. I think it's a very heartwarming, uh, genuine movie. I think the 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 guy who wrote and directed it, I think he loves baseball and and I'm that's great. I just don't I think a lot of people love it because they view it with rose colored nostalgia glasses because they saw it when they were kids. Same thing that people do with the Goonies, in my opinion. But anyways, we will move forward. So this is zigzagging into right field, left field, wherever. Um, If you could sit down and have a conversation with anybody in human history, like literally anybody, who would it be? It can be someone like all of these questions that we ask, by the way, we say like usually the first answer that comes to your mind is the best one. We don't know pressure to give anything like super profound or whatever you might think is interesting. The first answer is usually the best one. First name that came to my head and probably because we talked tonight and I feel like someone's going to do this. Like I really want to sit down with Chris Davis to like see what's going on in his head for the past like five years. Like sit down and have like a real honest like. Yeah. Like off yeah, the books, no, just like really off you know, the record, no yeah. BS conversation. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, that's valid. That would um, be that would actually be super interesting and honestly probably really sad. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, next question. One of my favorites. I always ask. 
Have you, Connor, ever seen a ghost or experienced something that you could not explain or had some sort of out of body experience or something along those lines? Yeah, I really have not, to be honest. Um, and I and I know people like friends who talk about stuff like that. Um, but I feel like I don't know if it will happen. Um, it hasn't happened. Um, and I can enjoy in, in other people's stories, um, but just have not had anything like that happen to me. All right. Well, then I'm following it up with, have you ever had a near-death experience? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I was in a... I was in a car accident in high school, but everybody ended up okay. Uh, the cars did not look good, um, but the people ended up okay, um, which was lucky. But uh, other than that, yeah. no, that would be the only one that comes to mind. That's good. That's good. All right. All hey, right. I hope we. I hope we don't get like too many super. <laughs> well, no. I think honestly, like, sometimes <laughs> near death experiences can be f- like fascinating to talk about. Mm-hmm. They definitely but, can be. I feel like it's completely depends on the nature of the experience sure of course Which, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. yeah i'm sure everyone's circumstances are different that's a yeah we're gonna get a lot of different answers there so um yeah. kind of moving in the opposite direction there um and this can be something really inane or stupid whatever tell us about a time when you laughed really really hard <laughs> laughed really really hard i'm hmm it does not have to be a good story. It's, yeah. you know, if somebody fell down or farted or whatever, that's fine. Like, I'm trying to think the last time I like laughed to crying, um, which has happened yeah. a good amount um, in my life. Um, to be honest with you, like this is going to be kind of a bad answer, but like this is the last time I can remember laughing until crying, which is just, uh, which is, this is also somewhat topical, is uh, watching John Mulaney stand up comedy. Um, and of course, oh there's God, a lot yeah. of topical going on with uh, John Mulaney at the moment. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, no. And and I also think it's interesting because I have a really close friend who thinks all stand up comedy is horrible and like the worst part of like worst kind of media to consume. Mm. Um, and like we've tried to sit him down and like force it upon him to laugh <laughs> at it. And while we're all cracking up and dying, he's like, I don't get this. Um, but that's definitely the last time I feel like it comes to my head of me crying laughing. Uh, I mean, Mulaney, any of his specials are just, they're, they're all great. The the man's an incredible uh, crafter of jokes, but uh, great. That's a great answer. Uh, final thing on the podcast, final little section. This is the full count. We are going to ask you for a recommendation in each of five mm-hmm. categories. Again, like we've said, first thing that pops in your head, it does not have to be obscure or profound, whatever you think of. <sighs> I just first, want to clarify for a sec because I don't yeah. think we ever clarified for for the listeners in our 15 episodes. And if we haven't, it's if if we have, it was a long time ago. It's called yeah. the full count because three three plus two, as in a full count, is five categories. Five. Yes, five categories. That is um, that is why it's called the full count. Uh, <laughs> three and two. Um, first category: books. What is a book that you would recommend? Uh, today I finished um, the MVP machine, which I started reading last summer and was almost done with it and then realized I hadn't read the afterward until today um, when I brought it to the beach. So on the beach today, I read the afterward, which is funny because the afterward is mostly about Michael Elias going from the Astros to the Orioles and what <laughs> he's doing with the Orioles, um, which was very interesting. So that um, is an interesting book because a lot of it is like pre banging scandal known about astros and a lot of it is like 
Trevor Bauer before a lot of people hated him and only a little bit of people hated him. Um, so it's kind of an interesting perspective there, but most of the stuff in there is very, very interesting. I, I will say reading that book really changed my completely changed my perspective on like baseball and also like what I could do as far as my writing went, as far as my like analysis went, as far as my experiencing baseball went and like how I could, you know, really get into this stuff. And it's, I think it's super, super fascinating to see in real time and very close to real time, how some of that stuff is, has aged, especially since Lindbergh and Sawchick are both very still active and both very much writing about these things, seeing like, okay, at 80% of the stuff in that book is really, really fascinating. They probably could have been a little harder on the Astros organization as far as like being, a complete toxic mess, which they did touch on, but kind of didn't go into. They could have talked about all of the million things that are wrong with Trevor Bauer. They touched on them, yeah. they didn't really go into them. And so then you kind of had the result of that was kind of this lionization of both of them that happened, which has its own implications. And I just think it's super fascinating to see how that's all, how that's played out because it really was, I think that's a, I would still, I recommend that book to people all the time anyway, because I think it's a really it's well written in a way that a lot yeah, of it's in a lot of yeah. like in-depth sports books aren't, I think. I fully agree. It completely changed my perspective on how uh player development is done in baseball. It just opened up a whole new thing for me. That and it was I agree though on the on the Bauer thing. It it doesn't paint him in a positive picture, I don't in a positive light, I don't think. <laughs> Well, so I, I think you come away the way my, this is my dad who did not know really anything about Trevor Bauer. Uh, he came away from the book saying, I think Trevor Bauer is a smart guy who is the biggest jerk you'll ever meet. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the portrait they paint is this guy who is very smart, but is also just awful. See, that was the thing though. I didn't get like, I didn't get the awful impression. We could, we should definitely flesh this out. At some point, too, this is a very long conversation. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I think go a lot of ways. But like, that's that's the thing. I think they 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 kind of by leaving him as in like, and I, I'm kind of curious your take about this, Connor, too. Is like by by leaving it kind of up in the air and kind of painting him as this kind of conflicted genius, where it's like, yeah, he's really smart, but he's hard to get along with. I feel like that kind of deadens and uh, plays down a lot of the really terrible stuff that he is that he is uh said or done but like yeah so, so we've we've just talked a lot so if you have any if you have any wrap-up thoughts on the mvp machine, yeah just yeah just about the the bauer stuff like i think they do a good job of talking about like what he did with the numbers like how he was able to fix himself but i don't think they equaled it with like to what level he like is harassing people online and like the stuff he has said about women and just like in general the stuff he has he said <laughs> yeah and so like that uh they they it was almost like an allusion to it without saying it um and i think like it's also interesting reading the book like now versus if you read it like right when it came out because i feel like even in that time we know a lot more just about him yeah um, so but that just to kind of wrap that up yeah no that's one recommendation recommendation number two is food and that could be like an ingredient, a meal, a restaurant, like anything food related is kosher. Uh, oh, that's a good call. Um, well, you know what? Since I am here, I'm going to say this. If you're ever in the Ocean City, Maryland slash Fenwick slash Bethany Beach, Delaware area, 
There was a taco stand called Grab and Go Taco, <laughs> which sounds like the most basic taco stand of all time, except it is literally amazing. Um, and they have this avocado guacamole mix that they put on the tacos and they call it green crack. Um, <laughs> and it is just unbelievable. So where, where are they there, located? I, they I, are literally located almost <laughs> right on coastal highway, almost right on the line of the Maryland, Delaware state line. Like oh, right are where they, ocean City are they, ends, right next to a Fisher's popcorn, right next to the Fisher's. Brothers yep. yep. I New know Golf. exactly where they are and they're always packed. Yep. Yep. And they they don't yeah it's literally like grab and go is very accurate it's just a it's just a stand you walk up grab it and there's like no tables or anything it's like right. take your co- tacos and get out of here exactly um, but okay I yeah, definitely want to try it then because great. it's that's very close to where my in laws have a condo uh, so I will have to I'll have to try that um, next category movies and or TV what is a movie and or a TV show that you would recommend. Uh, my girlfriend and I are right in the middle of Superstore right now on NBC. Uh, if you enjoyed Parks and Rec and The Office, it is uh, Justin Spitzer, who was a writer on those two shows, created Superstore, which is like the Office slash Parks and Rec version of people basically working in a Walmart-style store. Um, and I think it's a show where I had seen a lot of commercials for it, and they do a really bad job portraying how funny it is, promos. And then you watch it, and it's like almost as funny as those two shows. I have heard a lot of people say Superstore is really great, and and people should watch it, and it's poorly marketed. Yep, like it's, I've never heard of it. I'm gonna have to give it a shot. Yeah, it's been it's been on NBC for. I mean, it's got to be in it's, like yeah, six it's, or seven seasons. It's six seasons, and it's done. It's it's already uh, yeah. oh, done. Yeah, word. what what services? Where can I get it? At? Uh, Peacock. Peacock, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I would imagine it's on million ones that I don't have now. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I would imagine it's on free Peacock, like probably with commercials, uh, uh, because it wasn't a Peacock exclusive. It yes, was on correct. NBC. Oh, is that I still am like so unclear on how some of these things work, honestly. Peacock <laughs> Peacock is free uh, unless you want to watch Peacock exclusives, like shows specifically made for the streaming service. If it was a show that just was on NBC. You can watch it online. Maybe I'm the crotchiest 25 year old on the planet, but like, (laughs) I'll just take cable. Like, please. Uh, Anyhow, our fourth recommendation is music. The Uh, latest that music has been brought up in this podcast, by the way. Literally (laughs) two hours. It's because it's, well, it's also a me thing because like music being like any part of my life came in like not, I won't say late in life, but like very lately. In my life, like I was never like a big music person. Like I was, you know, into music or movies, TVs, like books and stuff, but not as much like, you know, listening to new music uh, when it came out. Um, but uh, I will say, um, uh, you know, I, uh, Migos came out with a new album the other night and uh, listened to it on the drive down to the beach. So there you go. There is the uh, Culture they? 3 Migos uh, came Culture out with new music. Uh, so there you go. Where have I been? Mercy! Hope it's better than culture too. Shit. <laughs> that's, that's a great. That's, that's a good great one. Record. No, that's I, you. Just know you just dropped that on me. I don't know how I didn't know that already, but oh, now man. I have to listen to it. Um, yeah, now so, you do. All right, final category. Final category, and this is what's the phrasing that you use, Ben? When you say this can be anything, it can be. So what I will say is, so the the category is miscellaneous. Yes, this is anything from your life that you would recommend to somebody this can be an activity this can be a, a you know a daily practice this can be a gadget that you own a person a place just li- literally 
Yeah, I, like what? Has it ever been a gadget? Like it's never been <laughs> that, a gadget. No. That, that word just always sticks in my mind. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> it can be literally anything from your life that you would recommend to other people. And I always say again, the first thing that pops in your head, no matter how inane it might feel, that is the one I want to hear. Now, when you said gadget, a gadget actually did pop up, but I'm still going to go with <laughs> the first thing I thought of. Um, sure. To keep the the no gadget streak going. Um, <laughs> if you like, if you like. Um, anything to have to do with like astronomy, seeing the stars, nature, anything like that, the night sky, um, Cherry Springs State Park in Cowdersport, Pennsylvania, which is like central PA, is like a area classified in the U.S. as like some of the darkest skies you can get in the U.S. So you literally show up, you wait till nighttime, you look up, and it basically looks like you're in a planetarium. Yeah. Um, like that's the kind wow. of the way you can see the stars. And my girlfriend and I have taken one trip there. We're going again soon. Um, and it is like a surreal experience. So if you're in any of the mid Atlantic, you know, Northeast area, um, Cherry Springs state park is like a place where people who do astrophotography, you know, like to see the stars, any of that stuff, like it is a destination location. Is that on like the Eastern half of Pennsylvania? It's, it's like kind of in the middle. It's kind of centralish, PA. Word, word, word. That is that is definitely something I yeah. will keep in mind because I've only ever seen that once. I stayed on an Indian reservation uh, in um, uh, South Dakota, and there wasn't a whole lot of stuff. Like there just wasn't a whole lot of stuff around, and we were camping, and the, I saw the night sky, and it was like that, and it was just the most mind-boggling thing so really the fact that it. that's available in pennsylvania which is not far from me i am going to remember that for sure. that's a great one that's a great one yeah well but anyways yes connor that that's it and thank you so much for being here on shag and Fl- uh yes yeah, thank you for being here on shag and flies uh it was a lot of fun we this was an orioles heavy podcast which is wonderful as every Orioles fan will say, it's always wonderful to uh, complain about the Orioles with another <laughs> Orioles fan. Uh, it's 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 just a joy. So, thank you so much for being here. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, we'll see you around for sure. Thank it's a pleasure, Zach. Exactly. And thank you guys for having me. Yeah, of be course. Safe. Enjoy. See you around.